show alert, bonus show alert. There was so much content this week. I was trying to figure it out. We didn't have enough space for it. So we're just going to drop a bonus show for you with This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper, which you hear every week, me and Chad getting into everything going on in the world of wrestling. So we dive into SummerSlam, we recap that, and then we get into Monday Night Raw. Triple H, he's in control now. You can feel the energy, the vibe. It's just a little bit different. We talk NXT, we talk AEW with Chad Cooper, even a little bit of Ric Flair's last match thoughts. Woo! That was a train wreck. Yeah, that that was rough. Then we'll... Get to another installment of the old wrestling rewatch. So a wrestling heavy episode. Andrew Champagne joins to talk WCW Great American Bash 1990. A pretty fun show overall. Not too many downers throughout. And a really good crowning moment for Sting. We also have an awesome tag team match on the undercard. A couple other really fun matches. So a wrestling heavy episode. First up. Current wrestling on this weekend, wrestling with Chad Cooper. Then the old wrestling rewatch, WCW, The Great American Bash, 1990. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper! It's time for This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper. We are actually recording this week in dumpsters because everybody's got the dumpster thing going on. Solos Cola's <laughs> popping out of a dumpster. We've got uh, the ass boys getting thrown into uh, dumps. Can AEW like just stop with the gimmick, like the the big gimmick spots, or <laughs> just rehearse them a little bit better? I don't need to see the foam peanuts flying out all all over the place um, there. Uh, but dumpsters were the uh, the theme this week. We're also coming off of SummerSlam, and right now, Coop, gotta say. For a while, and recently, the WWE creative sometimes can be stale. You know, the week-to-week TV, we've talked about it. Vince McMahon's been the main force, the one-stop shop. He's the end-all, be-all when it comes to creative. And he's been that that voice in WWE on the main roster for, you know, 40 years now. And and now he's gone, and there's just this energy, there's this buzz with Triple H in charge, and you can sense it. Start it started last week on Raw, and it continued all the way through SummerSlam, and then again on Raw Coop. WWE it it goes and flows. AEW has had some really good buzz over the last couple of years, especially with the internet wrestling fans when they make big signings, and because they're a little bit more fan friendly with the way that they've operated. With Triple H in charge, it's a little different now because all of a sudden we think about Triple H when he was booking NXT. That was a show that everybody like universally loved. It just feels like there's a little shift in the energy and sort of the buzz, the perception about WWE right now. Man, I don't know about little. I think right. <laughs> I think the WWE is on fire. They um, are. Yeah. You know, even even your anti WWE fans. Uh, let's just say majority AEW, there's some impact, uh, there's some of those, 
But they all said, you know, that a majority of them said the reason why they don't watch WWE is because of Vince McMahon and the way things are booked. If Triple H ever returns, we will give it another shot. And I, they're on fire. Uh, he took over. Uh, we thought there would be a little subtle changes here and there. And uh, no, sir. Uh, no. I, he's wide open. I just Monday was awesome. Wide open. Oh, and, and, and was- look, they're, they're getting massive ratings. This is the best raw rating in what, years? Two years? People, people are intrigued now. Well, the the people that have tuned away because the week-to-week TV just gets a little monotonous, now they're interested again because they're just feeling like there are more opportunities. We saw a noticeable change in the way certain people were treated over the weekend. We saw new people. Uh, we saw returns, and we saw call-ups. Lots of things happening. Major WWE buzz. Let's get into WWE, but first, got to mention it. We saw I, – I watched this thing. Ric Flair's last match. <laughs> this thing. I bought the pay-per-view. I spent my, I spent my 35 bucks because I figured, you know what? The undercard – let me sit before we get – I mentioned the, the main event. The undercard was really good. Sure. It was – on paper, it looked good. It was fun, and it felt sort of like an old-school – Everything about the nostalgia, the way they put it together, the way they made it feel, the announcers, Bob Cottle opened the show. You know, they've got they've got the Crockett's there, they've got everything like it was old school NWA. You know, it was really fun and the energy was great. Heck, there were Undertaker, Bret Hart, Mick Foley were in the audience, yeah. all there. Like tons of people showed up to see Flair. And then the undercard was really good. You had a lot of um, good independent wrestlers, a few uh, in there from AEW. You had a few from Ring of, uh, you had a few Ring of Honors. You had a few t- uh, Impact. You had a few MLWs. So it was all it was all pretty good. And there were there was a four way match uh, that, that with Bandito in it that was that was really good. That sort of stuck out. I thought the women's match. Oh, yeah, the women's match was good. Was really really good. Also, then we get to Flair. Uh, and then we get to flair and uh wow we this the the pomp and circumstance was cool the intro the entrance you yeah. yeah. reminds you of like starcade with the flair and the stars and the everything and he's got the great robe on and he comes out and you've got his some of his family and <clears throat> conrad thompson they're sitting ringside and then it was like and, and I honestly think this happens to a, a lot of people because I could understand you're kind of like by the time you hit the ring, you're like blown up. You, you It's such a big deal that, you know, there's so much going on. Th- this isn't even to mention the guy's 73 years old, you know, <laughs> so he's already like this moment's big. He's all around. And then you could just see the way he was moving. The guy was just tired before the bell even rang. He couldn't move around at all. Not that he's got that much bounce left in his step, but if you've just seen some of the videos of him training, he can still move a little bit better than he was. Yeah. And they were way too ambitious with what they tried to do here. If they would have gone 10, you know, 10 ish and, you know, were just simple, they just tried to go way, way, way too long. He couldn't move. At one point, he's crawling because he couldn't get up, he could not get to his feet. And, and it just makes 
everything look a, a little bit off when everyone's trying to sell this as you know as sort of real and and he was bleeding you know gushing. just gushing. gushing Andrade had to take there was a spot where they're supposed to throw him the brass knucks he could he was supposed to be on his feet to like catch them and then the use him in a hit he's on the ground laying there he can't even put the brass knuckles on his fingers Andrade had to put them on his fingers and then get him up um it just and, and I, I think I think the crowd gave him uh it could it could have been a lot worse. You're if right. It, if it wouldn't have been Flair and that would have been somebody else, yes. I think it, they were over generous. Yes, it was not only it was bad, it got to the point where man, I get I'm uncomfortable watching it. Yeah, it's eerie. You, know, you, gotta, you just don't need it anymore. And I hope if that wasn't it for him with the match quality obviously isn't good. It's not like he's going to look back. But the that that event, the Ric Flair's last match event, how well it went off, and it was all built around him this whole weekend, everything. That's got to be it, please. You yeah. you have a place in wrestling. Anytime you want to come back somewhere, there you're you'll always be able to do that. But please, please don't get in the ring anymore because we don't need to see. Something like that happen, you know, it just I think that serves purpose for others that maybe have the itch or thought about it. I mean, look, you know, a couple of weeks ago when the new WWE biography started on A&E, the first one with The Undertaker. And I mean, him preparing for his last match and he had a hard time. Just just let it. I, I know it's hard to get out of your system, but uh, man, it was tough. It was tough. To, it was very tough to watch. They executed it well. It was great. It, it, what? The, the the production the promotion it was sold everything out. but the flare ring in ring part of the event was good absolutely yeah. uh, so shout out to them and I actually heard read that this may be something they do like with the star cast now an event along with it where they can maybe have like a big main event I read something this is root just total rumor on on one of the sites that maybe Booker T was looking to do something similar with like a Booker T's last match. Where they sure. could build it up, build it around someone having a big last match and have an undercard. That would be fun. But uh, I watched it. It was the end is just eek. But yeah, everything before he stepped in the ring was really good. And even the after, I was nervous for him afterwards. But he actually was able to cut a little bit of a promo, which was fine. Uh, Kid Rock was there, not <laughs> making out with some girl on TV. So that was a posit- uh, positive. <laughs> Um, that she, the girl who was making out with, I forgot her name. She's a female comedian, like a might be a redneck if type. She does okay. Yeah, uh, I don't. That's I, great. I, that was a work. It, it okay. was a work. Yeah, yeah. Total. <laughs> that was, that's so stuff. funny. Well, let's talk about that show. Let's talk about SummerSlam and let's get into WWE. What we saw on oh, uh, on oh, Raw after SummerSlam. SummerSlam was a good show, man, and it they they just kicked it off. Coop with a great match. Bianca Becky. So many things that were good about the match and just this story, the way it was told, it was everything that it should have been perfect from a, for a year. Bianca has had some ebbs and flows along the way where I think sort of not even by her fault, you know, where they were maybe had her set up for other people and, and things fell through. But the the story, this was like a 1980s WWE story. This was a full year where they had a big story that all came together at the end, and now Becky's a babyface. She's got an injury. She's going to be out, looks like, for a little while. 
And when she comes back, she'll be the baby face, just like we all hoped. It she it just came full circle. I thought the story was perfect. They had another awesome match. And then right after the match, you get Bailey coming back, you get EO, you get Dakota Kai. So that was awesome to see because everybody's been excited for Bailey. Dakota Kai had been released. Now she's back. And nobody's seen EO for a while. Nobody right. knew what was going on with her, if she was going to be called up or hopefully not in a tag team with Stark again, you know. But <laughs> it was such a good first 25 to 30 minutes overall to start the show with the match and the stuff right after it. Everybody was just hyped, and it just was a perfect way to get the ball rolling. Uh, definitely a great move to start the show with this match and definitely a great move by triple H to get Becky back where she belongs on, uh, being a full fledged face because she is so popular. And when she's been in these Hill moments with Bianca, it is definitely hurt Bianca. But now that this story has been told and it's ended, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that Becky has a separated shoulder. I don't know how long she's going to be out. But uh, even though she took a shot at Roman Reigns on Twitter, they were talking about who wore it better, you know, with two belts. And Becky said, well, you know, I came to work every day or whatever it was. She's definitely uh, one of the the biggest stars in WWE. Um, it doesn't matter on either side. So I'm glad that she's back to being a, a, a face because that's where she belongs. Um, I'm also glad that now Bianca does not have to be in her shadow, so to speak, despite her being the champion. She was not the star anytime she went face to face with with Becky. That's a good point. It's a Uh, weird dynamic when that happens, right? It is. And it's tough for both. You know, it's tough for everyone. It's usually tough for for the champion. And when the most over person isn't your champ, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. No, and it don't. And I think they did it really well by having some. You know, after the match, you, you have uh, three new faces coming back. We, we knew Bailey was on on the verge of returning, but my God, uh, no one had any idea about EO. You and I, in the rest of the world, the only way we could watch Dakota Kai was going on her Twitch channel and watching her play video games over the last, you know, five, four or five months. This was just the start of the show. It was you know. Great. And from start to finish, you know, you're like, okay, what do they do after this? And it just kept getting better and better and better. But, man, what a dynamic for the women's division now on Raw with the addition of those three. Holy cow. We, we've, <laughs> it's going to be fun. Monday nights are going to be fun for a while. And just for – just think about that. Like that's the opening part of a big show. That's something that's like reserved for we see legends come out and make appearances sometimes, right? Or if you think about returns or people showing up, it would be probably some uh, Edge, right? Or Cody, like that, right? Like some big veteran. That just shows you hopefully what they're going to do with these ladies and how highly they think of them. And that people were – and they knew that people were going to respond to that too. It just is so cool to see, oh my gosh, in the first – 40 minutes, like I said, 30 minutes plus of the show, we've got five ladies out there, you know, that, and that Where was, do we go from here. And that was awesome. They were able to build off that. And it took, it, it took the Twitter world by storm. And it was a fantastic show that I thought was probably top to bottom. One of the better summer slams, 
Um, not not that there was these greatest matches of all time moments, but top to bottom, just very probably, few lows. Nothing yeah, like really it, awful. It stayed high. It stayed and, high. It, it stayed high. You know, there, there was. We'll get to some. You know, I, I there's a few. Think, there's a few down think, spots. I, I didn't think Liv Ronda was all that. Uh, that was, they were going for more of a, an angle there, and sure. I don't know. It seemed like they wanted to continue it right with what happened with Ronda post match, sure. but I don't. I don't know if that's. I, I can. I understand what they're doing. I just don't think that was. That's the right time to tell that with Liv right now. No, not 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 on SummerSlam pay per view. She needs. She needed a big win. It's not that I'm not saying Liv's done. I'd, I'd rather her not have lost. And but I think she still needs a big win. She kind of came out of this looking sort of sneaky, and then Ronda snaps, and who knows what's going to happen there moving forward. But that was to me sort of the downer on the show. They only went four and a half minutes. Yeah, and longer than as we went through the card, I knew that you know, as we went match after match after match, and that one wasn't next, they kept holding it off. I knew that was going to get the short end of the stick. And yeah, you knew, and they probably felt that, you know, they probably felt it. Hey, don't put them out there, and you know the crowd's not going to be into it I, again. It's just a dynamic where you're trying to build live up as your SmackDown Women's Champion, but she's doing it again against an international star that is kind of a tweener, and you, it just, I don't know. There, Look, there's it's some hard. people that just don't match up well, and I think Ronda and Liv do not match up very well. Yeah, and it's a weird, it's sort of a weird booking decision for them too, because Liv can't be losing right now. You no. don't really want Ronda just taking a bunch of losses throughout the roster, how right? You, how do you think? That, how do you feel about that finish? So I, I wonder if it was be a way to get Ronda suspended. Yeah. Right, and off TV for like a month or a month. something. Yeah, and just let, sort of let Liv breathe. Yeah, sort of get her out of out of the way and live. Let Liv get a win over somebody else. Oh yeah, can, or somebody. Yeah, you bring Ronda back in and have Ronda involved with maybe Charlotte. I don't know something, but maybe it just is a way to get Ronda off for a little while, so you don't have to have her. They've done this with Lesnar too, right? Sure. Where sure. they would have like it seemed like Lesnar was due for a rematch, and then they would just have him get suspended and he'd just be off TV for a couple months. I wouldn't be shocked if that happens because I don't. It's. I don't think they're in a lives in trouble yet phase, but it's but, not a good start. No, no, it's not. You know, like we said, it's just it's not. It, this was one because like we when we were talking about the downers of the show, we immediately both went to this, right? And I think everybody sure. would have thought would have looked at this as it just didn't feel like a SummerSlam match. And the other one that didn't was more like a pretty clean win for Lashley, but it, so it's sort of a weird spot for Theory because Theory's got. Kind of bigger fish to fry with that briefcase And his involvement there And we saw Theory come out in the main event Which was a demolition derby card I would have crash. rather Theory not have a match on the card Completely agree And just, I just did don't... a promo or two Well because this doesn't do anything for Bobby really either No right? it, it didn't It didn't. It, it was no. look nothing wrong with the match But that's a raw main event Yeah you know? it, was, it was four it, was, it didn't even get to five minutes there yeah. with those two So um, uh, one guy who we weren't sure, especially me, if he was going to be able to do this as a baby face. Now, I'm still not sure, and I still hope that Logan Paul isn't a baby face for the long run in WWE if he's going to continue to wrestle matches, which it sounds like he is. But he was so athletic, and the spot, the frog splash off the top rope 
through the announce table, that spot won the entire crowd. Anyone who was booing him completely over, and they were cheering him. And shout out to the Miz for doing his awesome job as always to get people to boo him and to help put Logan Paul over. You had Champa and AJ sort of get some involvement here, and then this carried over to stuff on Raw, but. Man, another celebrity steal in the show, and we had one more after this too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Look, uh, we we were both concerned, and I still don't think the guy came out smelling like a clean, full fledged uh, baby face. No. Um. Look, first, Maurice. Holy cow. Um, Wowza. <laughs> I Wowza. Mean, uh, she's just. Uh, she's a Hall of Famer. She is. I, I, I don't care if you think that, uh, you know, she's a former WWE Divas champion. She just is fantastic. She She's a knockout to look at. She's she was great so good outside. in the Rumble this year. Remember what she was doing in the Rumble match this year? Yeah. She is. And so shout out to her. The Miz is just so damn good at being that heel that you just, you know, and if, if anybody is going to pull this off with a match like with with Logan Paul, it, it's it's the Miz, and he did everything. And I think the WWE did, and I think you know, Trips did, and Logan Paul did too. But all that said, that match was pretty damn entertaining. It was. It was good, and they went almost fifteen minutes just to show you the confidence they had in uh, in these two guys. Yeah, the, son of, the, the son of a gun did a top rope Shane McMahon spot Yeah, on Miz on the announce table that didn't break, so you know that it, that, that, that really hurt. And I will say, you can tell, I'm, I'm, he was practicing the spot, obviously not through a table, right? But like the jump probably onto a bunch of like mattress, you know, like like they do, they, they do the dives onto like the big inflatable stuff. Because he... Logan hit that thing so clean. He got so much air in the jump. And it was, you know, with, with Shano nowadays, we get a little worried, like, oh no, is he going to make it to the table? You know, is he going to make it to the table? That was not the case with Logan Paul. So shout out to him. He was awesome. We have to talk the other celeb match while he's there. I mean, he's not even really a celeb anymore because of the work he's done on NXT. He had the match with Austin Theory. And then another really fun one with Happy Corbin. You got the choir singing bum-ass Corbin as he comes (laughs) out. And McAfee just, you know, he's just having a blast out there. And him and Corbin have a great one. It was just a ton of fun. He ends up having to do the, uh, the low blow when the ref's not looking. And McAfee pulls off the win over Happy Corbin. McAfee could be a full-time WWE superstar. Yep. He just he has it. He has the the it factor now. He's not going to pull off great matches. So it, it's great that they use him in big pay-per-view spots. I don't want to, you know, I like. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing him in a Royal Rumble spot. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think he would be great in something like that. He's not going to win it. But the guy's just again, he's an entertainer. He. Love him or hate him What he's been able to do In a very, very short period of time Look, I'm a workaholic I've got so many irons in the fire I I stay tired all the time Gino, I don't know when you sleep Uh, You're a workaholic The same with Pat McAfee Man, Then this guy is training for matches And not just matches for like uh, Hey, they're running this this show Ric Flair's last match And I'm not putting it like that 
you're wrestling in WrestleMania. You're working in SummerSlam. In SummerSlam, dude. He wrestled I, a match against Vince in WrestleMania. Dude, yeah. I mean, look, it just does a fantastic job. And look, it's really, and I'm going to be honest with you, and I think you agree with me too here. It's really hard for an outsider, and I mean an outsider that is not involved in the wrestling world, despite somebody being a major mark for wrestling. It's hard for someone on the outside to come in and be accepted into the WWE universe. Number one, for being an announcer, it's really, really tough. How many times on Monday night over the last couple of years they were bringing in guys in and out, um, trying them out on Raw, and it just wasn't happening. This guy immediately just paired up with Michael Cole and has just done phenomenal job. And the WWE, you know, I haven't seen one bad word from anyone. Look, you may not like his daily show, his podcast. Um, you may not, and that's fine. But what he does on Friday nights and on pay-per-views, spectacular, man. He fits the role so well, and I'm glad you mentioned Michael Cole because Michael Cole now, he's got a weight off of his shoulders. There's big no time. Vince in his ear, and you can no, tell. Oh, yeah. You can tell. Yeah. He's just different. Um Cody uh, Corey Graves was announcing this match Came over to announce and then Corey Graves Came out this was the fifth match on the card So he came out to announce this match and then it was Graves and Michael I think for the rest of the show And uh so He he, Michael said something during the match And Corey said I don't like you like this I liked it better when you when you couldn't <laughs> say As much and yeah. Michael said Well that's not gonna happen that's well, that's changed, and a lot of things are going to change. I was like, oh, <laughs> I love that. So no Vince in his ear. Michael Cole, I, I think I've made this, made this reference before. It sort of reminds me of what happened with uh, Jim Nance and Tony Romo calling sure. the games together. Because Nance is great. Like, Nance is an all-time great announcer. But you sort of – you do the same thing every year with sort of the same people and the same crew, and you get sort of comfortable. You get kind of ca- – you know, like – you know, it's set in your ways. And then you have someone like Tony Romo, who's this young, should, could still have been a quarterback, but he got hurt. He knows every player, all the coaches, everything that's going on. He's predicting the plays before. And Romo is like excited for everything. He reminds me a lot of how McAfee announced, like, sort of in a, how McAfee is as an announcer, just super excitable. And you could tell Nance is way more excited. Like, Nance is a better announcer because of it. He's more focused. He's like having a better time. And the same thing with Michael Cole. This was this was great. And uh, I'd love to see McAfee and Logan Paul show up three or four times a year. Absolutely. Big shows. Give me Mania, right? Yeah. Mania, yeah. SummerSlam, a few. It doesn't have to always be the big show, but, but save a, a storyline, right? I would love – a, a Pat McAfee doing the storyline of uh of having to stand up for Michael Cole. Sure. Somebody sure. like somebody tries to attack Cole, you know, at the announce table, and then you've got a story with McAfee. They did they've done that story with Roddy Piper with Gordon Soley That's way back point. in the day. I think, that Law, I think Lawler, Lawler and, and Jr. Yeah. With Taz. They yeah. did it with when he had he hit they hit him in the head. Jr. stepped up off the announce table <laughs> and came up and hit him with that jar and Jr. cut himself. Yeah. And he was like gushing blood all over the place. He cut himself. I don't know if it was working glass, that gimmick glass. <laughs> I don't. So uh, good stuff here. The Mysterio's Judgment Day match was, uh, I think, another one that was, again, a lot about Edge making his return. Yeah. So this 
both of these teams got just feel like they've got a little more oomph over the last couple of weeks with Mysterio getting to cut that promo for the 20 year thing and then with Rhea coming back and now Edge coming back uh, it's all a little bit more intriguing now than than where these teams were a few weeks ago before the returns and and how it's been treated. Yeah, and you could see that on Monday night with Mysterio's main eventing on Raw in Houston and uh just you know doing a really good job. I, I you you took it. I, I I mean this this was to get Edge back and to have that song um Alter Bridge uh what is it Mental Lingus Metal Lingus I think's the name of the name of the song. I just when that song comes on it's it's just all systems ago. It's one of the all-time you great you think WWE you know. songs. On this day, regardless, it's Scott Staff and Creed does not sing it. We're still going to sing it that way. I know we're going to sing it like that. Just a little Brooks and Dunn in it as well. But that's what this is for. And that carried over to Monday night. And guess what? Didn't it make Judgment Day uh, feel a little bit? More important Absolutely. with Edge back around. And that's all it took. Now that definitely helps with Rhea now, because I told I, we said last week that it, it's tough with her not being there. Something was missing. Definitely more important with her was she back? Even if she's hurt, let her be there. And now that Edge, there's a purpose. Guess what? Boom, we're back to square one. It's good. Rhea's doing this thing too, where it's like she's. It, it's I, they're not I not they're not doing it, but it almost seems like they're setting up a match with Rhea and Dominic because the oh, way yeah, she's trash yeah. talking him, and then yeah. she was attacking him, and then when Edge came out, Rhea had Dominic in like a head scissors. She was up, <laughs> she was up on the on the rope, like in the uh, yes. on the turnbuckle, and she had Dominic's like like by the neck with her legs, and then it was so funny because on social media she tweeted out. Uh, Dominic's where all of you want to be you Yeah know, Something, something <laughs> yeah. like that and it's just, <laughs> Yes ma'am <she>, <laughs> yeah, Which is just awesome So shout out to Rhea for that She's great she knows it and she's playing into it We uh, We had the Usos versus the Street Profits And I think our Expectations were so high off of their Awesome uh, really really good match Last time out this one just didn't hit That next level and I was a little Bit surprised until we see Monday Night Raw, and we already look like we might be getting that Montez singles push. He had a match to. against hey, Seth we, Rollins. Look, yeah, look, we said it. If the Street Profits were not going to win the title, and as we got to this event, it, you know, and looking at the the pre match odds, it was pretty obvious that they were not going to win this title. And I think the match was a little let down, but because I think when you show up to the arena, look, these are all professionals. We know what they're they're doing. Um, they know what they're booked into. But you know what? They're, they're still human beings, and there's pride. Look, I you know plenty of professional wrestlers. I know them. You know it's pride. Look, you could be the world champion for two years, and you lose it. You're still being booked good. You're not the world champion anymore. So it, it, it's look. It's not that ah we're not going to go out there and give 110. percent But you can tell there was a little letdown. In the match, it was hard to. It's it, number one. It's going to be hard to um, to repeat that first match that was so hot. But after seeing what was happening on Monday night, I think, and you and I talked about this. If they're not going to win these titles, Montez Ford has to be a singles, has to be, or at least have a chance to make a singles push. 
this was the right call. This was the right call. If you're not going to have him win, that's fine. And then we already see the uh, we already see the tease of it on Monday night. We end with the main event. A lot of people didn't want to see this match again, and so you know what? WWE said <laughs> we're going to do everything to make you entertained, even if you didn't want to see this match. We're going to have Brock Lesnar driving is it a bulldozer of of like a backloader, a forklift, a huge, huge. Massive piece of farm equipment To the ring He's driving this thing He parks it He jumps in on the top of it And he's just standing on it It was unbelievable The the, the visual Just seeing him stand in that And then these guys just go at it They beat the hell out of each other Theory gets in the mix The Usos are down there Heyman's in the mix It is a total just car crash all over the place Brock Picks the ring up With the vehicle Roman Reigns like flips over The entire ring is Up off of the ground on an angle And pushed back Unlike anything you've ever seen before So The 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 way that they did this And shout out to Brock He's driving this thing There's not a whole lot of room Like on the sides of him He he like Brock was probably the only one who could drive these things. He just, you know, I'm sure he's 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 used to driving it up in uh, Saskatchewan or wherever he is up <laughs> on his farm. But it was all of the visual of all of this. I don't, I don't think many people expected Roman Reigns to lose. But wow, they made you really entertained. They had theory come out, so there was the chance of this. It was, I just can't remember ever seeing something like this. No. Uh, I, I think Roman Reigns was actually put in the uh, – I'm not good at these tractor terms, but, I mean, he was dumped out in it at one point. Um, yeah, if, if, if you were – heck, even us, we, we thought, okay, they had to pivot because Cody Rhodes is out. We thought Cody was probably going to be in the spot, and, you know, all indications where he was because that's why they, they went back to Brock Lesnar. But uh, this again, you know, these guys are, man, holy cow. Um, you, you have Paul Heyman basically throwing in the towel for Roman Reigns. You know, he says, here, you can have the title, Brock. And then, you know, Brock F5's him. Uh, it's unbelievable. I, I, look, if, 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 you're inter- if you like entertainment, that was one of the most entertaining main events that I have ever seen before. Uh, WWE, uh, I- any pay per view, any Raw, uh, that that you could compare that to uh, Austin bringing in the beer truck and spraying McMahon down, Kurt Angle with the milk truck. That goes right up there with this, right up there. It was just an unbelievable main event. Unbelievable. I don't think you could do it any better than what they did. And the energy carried on over to Monday Night Raw I love episodes of Raw or SmackDown When there is a story that's told throughout the entire night And for this night, it was We're going to crown a number one contender for the US title We're going to have two triple threat matches The winners of those matches are going to have a match And that winner will be the number one contender I love it, because there's just a little more importance to matches that normally are just kind of throwaway matches. So we've got AJ Styles versus Mustafa Ali versus The Miz, which was 
uh, it's it. If Mustafa's not going to be in a bunch of storylines, give him time on TV to be a guy in ten minute matches losing. This was great, and then the other triple threat was Champa, Dolph Ziggler, and Chad Gable. Champa wins that. You have AJ versus Champa, and Champa gets the win over AJ. So, wow, all of these guys big. That's are on. really that's a that's a that's a big moment for Champa. Huge. All of these, you have six guys that are really solid workers. You've got Champa getting a massive win now, and this was a just it was good. It was a, a really good use of your TV time and a big portion of the of the show setting up this and building to next. I think it's next week, right? Yeah, next week. Champa versus Bobby Lashley, and I, with Miz by. Chomp aside, you could always see something weird or weaselly happening, and I could see it because there's always the possibility of them opening back up the other title, and you would think Bobby Lashley would be a clear contender for that if they were going to do any sort of a tournament or a match to have you know another champion crowned. So I like what they did with these two matches, Coop, and they got you know Ziggler, Gable, M- uh, Mustafa. Put them in the ring with AJ with Champa. They're going to be really good matches. And I know a lot of people were upset. They thought Mustafa should have been the one advancing. But you know what? At the end of the day, and this has nothing against. I have nothing against Mustafa Ali at all. But you know what? He came back a while back and was put into this storyline with uh, with with Miz with the yeah. Miz. And you know what? It seemed like the WWE crowd didn't give a crap about him. No, you're right. They didn't so really are, give it. Why are, why are they giving it? Why do you want to give a crap about him now? Because he's used in a fantastic triple threat match. And now you're giving a crap about him because he loses. Don't do that. I know. I just, that, that's what that drives me insane about wrestling fans. You didn't carry about him a month ago when you, when they, oh, he's back. Ah, but they put him with the Miz. Oh, he's in a triple threat match. Oh, but he lost. This is wrong. Don't do that. I, I thought this this was done the correct way, and this was a big, big moment for Ciampa. It, it just was, and I thought it was the it was. right guy to win this. I really was. was. I really do. So shout out to Ciampa for his big moment. Seth Rollins and Montez Ford go at it. Um, really cool match. We talked about that a little earlier. We actually, and we we spoke about what happened with Becky a bit. Becky opens the show. She comes out, kind of her full baby face turn. She talks uh, to Bianca. They have a, a moment where they shake hands. And then Bailey, Dakota, and Io attack Becky backstage. So that puts her out for a while. And it sets up Bianca with a couple of fresh contenders moving forward. She actually has a match later in the night against Io, which ends in a no contest. But I think they didn't want to have a clean finish because that could be a future Title match there all three of these women Could be future title contenders For Bianca So I, I enjoyed what they did with the Women throughout the night too it, the, the division Instantly feels really fresh Yeah and I and I like the fact that they Attacked uh, Becky Too um, I, it, It's just good it, it's just good booking um, That's all we've been Asking for for years and years And years is just uh, You know be consistent With booking not everything's going to stick and not everything's going to be good. We know that not everything was good on Monday night, but you know what? Uh, there's a reason why Monday night raw 
got one of its better ratings after two years. Yeah, it's going to it's gonna get a little pop regardless because it's the night after SummerSlam, but it wouldn't have got that big of a pop, pop if Vincent Kennedy, Kennedy McMahon was running the show, if he was in Gorilla. I mean, we had a massive SummerSlam, and the pressure was on. We talked about it. Hey, this was a statement for Triple H. This was the first pay-per-view ever, ever in our lifetime that we can remember that that Vince was not there in gorilla position running the show. He may have missed some here or there for health reasons, but he still got his handprint on it. Not anymore. So yeah, Monday Night Right, Monday Night Raw had to be a statement, and I I think they checked all the boxes, Gino. Yeah, I, I do too. It was a really good night, top to bottom for them. Um, we uh, hit on one or two more things that uh, that happened. We got an Alexa Bliss Oscar match. We got that was interrupted by the by the women uh, with you know with Dakota Bailey and EO. So they're gonna sort of run ramp uh, run and ramp you know it over I'm the division. Okay not having a faction name. You know, it, it don't stick anything that it, that it's not. It's going to be silly or corny. Or, They're fine right now. Corny. We don't need. They're fine they without it. Yeah. You know? Totally agree. We heard from Edge, and that ended up leading to the you know leading to what would happen in the main event where we had the Usos versus the Mysterios, and we basically had Edge kind of on the side with the Mysterios. And you have now Rhea up there on the other side to kind of even it up in a in a weird three on three sort of sense. But I we we talked about them with the, just a few minutes ago in the SummerSlam stuff. Both of these feel a lot better, and I'd love to see singles matches now with Edge versus Finn, Edge versus Priest, and you know whatever you're going to do with the Mysterios, they feel a little bit more interesting right now. So I, I think. You know, positives uh, for a lot of the things that we were seeing. Yeah, I, I mean, there's some things here or there that they could have done better. But anytime you have a a show that's built around a contender match that doesn't involve the contender wrestling the champion in a contender's match. I, I love it. I, I love. And I thought they did the right thing. I thought the right people won. I thought Ciampa was the right person to won. The main event was fantastic. Seth Montez Ford, you couldn't ask for anything better than that. I think they've done a good job with the ladies. I think they're making everyone feel important on Monday night. And, and, and look, there's going to be moments where, where things don't stick. But if you would have told me two weeks ago that Triple H has taken over and there would be this type of change this quick, I would have said there's just no way possible. And you know what? There things may may we may have lulls, in which that's what I expect because you got to remember, not only you know WWE, AEW, this is live every week. Every week these people are working. This isn't seasonal. This is not 14 episodes that's done over you know 12 or 13 months. I, I just think you couldn't ask for a better start for Triple H. You just could not do it. Over on NXT on Tuesday, we saw the women's tag team championship match, and we have new women's champs, Katana Chance and Caden Carter. We had a North American championship open title defense that Nathan Frazier stole, and he came out and uh, he faced Carmelo. Uh, Carmelo got the, the victory there. Mandy Rose beat Sarai. Axiom beat Duke Hudson. The Creed Brothers 
beat Tony D and Channing Lorenzo and Santos is back already making this feel more interesting when the, when those two were talking Joe Gacy beat Brooks Mamaria and Alba Fire <laughs> beat Lash Legend and uh, Solo Sokoa in a pretty fun main event beat Von Wagner in a Falls Count Anywhere match Coop Aloop new women's tag team champs this is a a team that's been a team for a while And they felt like a team that Was ready for the titles At any point now in the last six months or so I'm glad the titles are on them And now it's just about you know Building some new teams for them to face moving forward Yeah and I think it was a smart move It's well deserved I I, I don't have anything against Cora Rock, uh, Roxanne Perez I, You know over longevity I, I just don't know If they would have been able to keep up with the titles, they just don't seem like a tag team to me. These two girls do, and they deserve it. Um, you know what? And Gina, you know, I'm gonna be honest with you. I was concerned a little bit going into Tuesday night. You know, here you here you have Triple H taking over uh creative on Mondays and Fridays. Um, you have a massive pay-per-view on Saturday night, you have a fantastic raw that follows that up. So would NXT, you know be the one that's kind of short changed a little bit if you know what i'm saying it's well we've got monday night raw's rocking smackdown's rocking would nxt see any fall off i i don't think so i thought it was good i thought it was a good hot show from start to finish the ratings were good but starting it off with new women's tag team champions these two girls can go in the ring they have a good uh, they have a good following they're hot oh yeah Good, good choice here about having these two ladies win the titles. Carmelo and Trick seem to be building towards something more with Wes Lee because Wes cut a promo a little later on in the night talking about Trick. I think inevitably we'll end up getting Wes versus Carmelo, but this was kind of yeah. fun. Carmelo came out to do an open challenge. It looked like we were going to get uh, Vinci, and then we had uh, – Nathan Frazier run in and, and steal the uh, the match and get an opportunity there. So we'll get Nathan Frazier and Vinci moving forward, uh, I'm sure, because Vinci was the one who got involved and in, uh, and helped Carmelo get the win there. So you know what? I like a lot of the, I like all these guys. Um, I, I don't mind seeing stuff like this, and I think it'll it'll be sort of TV stuff that'll end up pushing to Carmelo's next feud, which I think might be Wes. Hey, it looks like it. And you know what? They're going to be good, solid matches. It's not, oh, one guy can go and he's probably going to have to carry the other. The dude's good. <laughs> Look, man, there's a lot of talent on Tuesday nights. There is this group, this group right now with Nikita, with Braun, with Carmelo, you know, at the at the top tier with Tiffany Stratton, with the Creed brothers. Like that is a good group. I mean, a- hang, hang in there with me for a second. Doesn't this feel like a little of the old NXT that yep. was so hot that you had to go and watch it on the network yep. because it wasn't, wasn't on USA Today? No, I'm not comparing the big star names, the Adam Coles and the Chompas. Well, this was before that. This was before they started to even go out and get some of those big names, too. You yeah, know, I, I just think, look, I know for a while it was a little honky, and it was. I, I didn't like the, the 2.0 moniker, but you know what? I stuck with it. The storylines were good, and there were some weak moments here and there. Hell, there was plenty. But, man, I think they've got a good roster right now. Hey, again, I, I was worried. I was concerned Tuesday night, and, and I still have a little concern going forward. I didn't want 
this roster to get rated and people go up and then there's so many of them there. It's kind of like AEW. They're not used all the time. Look at poor Leah. She's brought up. We never really see her much anymore. But after Tuesday night, man, again, th- this from head to toe, I-, I think Braun feels like a bigger deal. Uh, I-, I just, they have a lot of good things. I, I do wish we could go back to the NXT uh, pay-per-views. Uh, you know, uh, and maybe we will. I think that kind of hurts them a little bit. Having to do these shows every week on a Tuesday, kind of like AEW has to brand each week show, uh, like it's a bash at the beach or, you know, it's fighter fest 2.0 or I, I, I think that kind of hurts a little bit because people are used to, I think if NXT can get back to, you know, every six weeks doing their own pay-per-views on the weekend, I think it'll be a lot better for this roster. We had the heat wave summit between Braun Breaker and JD <laughs> McDonough. And man, this dude, he, uh, a star, man. he's a star. He sits there and he says, you know, this isn't going to end in, in violence, but it is going to end in blood. And he ends up putting a little cut on his finger and he signs the, Thing in blood and bronze is looking at him like what the hell is this guy doing oh my god you know he's <laughs> it it was this was good this was a, just like a different way of doing a contract signing this guy's got this creepy serial killer thing to him i really like this man uh yeah uh, look that dude's a star um i i think we're we're going to see the best Braun breaker uh, match to date And I'm not taking anything away from, from Dolph Ziggler I just think at this level at NXT If if this guy Can't get over in this match With him then we have to I don't know what we have to do Change his name to Braun Steiner I don't know but I, it, it's good It feels important when you have somebody On the other side other than freaking Joe Gacy coming after you With two goons This is make It makes Braun feel much more important when you have a guy that not only can go in the ring, but talk on the damn mic. This dude's a star, man. He is a star. This was great. I really like this. We had the Creed brothers come across Apollo Crews. So that could be fun. Apollo <laughs> with uh, linked up with them against Roderick and maybe, you know, a couple others. We could, that'd be interesting. Or Apollo Roderick stuff could be a lot of fun. Um, we then had Mandy versus Saray. Mandy gets a, a victory here. Uh, to continue on and she talks a little trash to Zoe Stark so we're going to have them coming up in a couple weeks I believe right two weeks yeah two weeks two weeks yeah I, I I think we get a probably a title change here pretty soon but I'll say this Mandy Rose has been nothing short of spectacular since coming down to Tuesday nights kudos for her to doing it because I know a lot of people feel like it's a demotion uh-uh. no nope. sir she's Good. run with it she's took it, it and she's has. run with it she's been awesome we uh we had Tiffany Stratton with Ooh. a little video package, and she she is another She's one. Good, she is she so just, good. I didn't think this gimmick would work at all. You know, these vignettes of her coming, and I'm just like. When she started, we were like, ah. But it, it works because she's so good in the ring, too. She's so yeah. athletic, and she can back it up. And it just seems like this character, you're like, God, I know a girl like that. You know, like it just I think every like everybody probably is looking at that like, damn it, there were like three girls like that at my high school or you know, college or somewhere. And she's sort of got it down the little the voice, the 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 way she 
accentuates her voice even and I'm becoming a a big fan. I think <laughs> she's doing well. Um Axiom gets a win. Uh Hudson was someone who I thought they were high on a while ago, but he just he's on the wrong side of uh basically every time we see yeah. him in the ring. But Axiom is beating you and I don't know what to expect of this this guy yet. I don't know. I mean it's just one of those faces that 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 wears a mask. Um, I, yeah, I, I like Duke Hudson. It seemed like we jumped the shark when he had that silly card game with, with um, Grimes, uh, right? With Grimes, yeah. yeah I, I thought and Grimes uh, came out of that okay, but Duke did not. Duke did not. <laughs> and then when they, they when per when, when Persia got you know released from WWE, Duke was out of there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it just hasn't been good for Duke. The uh, he got his head shaved too at one point, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. he got the head shaved. Also, it's he's not he's just not been on the right side of much here. No, no. Uh, the Creed brothers end up winning their tag team title match, uh, but because Santos Escobar comes in and he actually stops Tony D from winning, so he's now cost Tony D a chance at winning the North American title and the tag titles. But the Creed brothers get the victory. Here, so um, this was more more storyline because they're continuing to set up Santos and Tony, um, and maybe a, a big you know brawl to uh, to finish things off. Tony and Santos, uh, th- this storyline wasn't doing well without him, so I think no, I'm glad they no. brought him back. It felt it just feels much better with him involved. Yeah, it, it's kind of like before, you know, uh, Ezekiel and no Kevin Owens is just nothing there, and we did. I think we did see a good Kevin Owens vignette. Oh yeah, uh, you're right. Good point. I I think he's. I mean, not that he's dropped down, but I think they're. I think they're really about to let him go back to the top. So, we uh, we had a little video package for Roxanne Perez talking about Cora Jade, and then she challenges her a match uh, to a match at Heat Wave. So I don't don't necessarily love the way they got here, but these two will probably have a, a fine match, and then. One of them can kind of move up. Um, it just felt kind of weird. I think with Cora, they must have just not ever thought she was quite ready right now at this baby face version of herself, um, this character to beat Mandy. She seemed a couple times like she was groomed for it. They look like they like her. I'm sure these two will will have a good match, and they're super young. They feel like yeah. they're going to be a big part of this division for a, you know for a while. That's the key there. They're both really, really young. And you know what? You can be careful with these two. I, I, I like the fact that Cora turned on Roxanne, but still something is really missing. For I know. Me. I agree. Two, they're yeah. too clean cut, baby face. You know, I, I just, and there's time to develop this. And maybe, hey, look, maybe they, they put on a phenomenal match here in a couple of weeks. But even after she turned on her, I wasn't convinced she turned on her. Cora's just so damn likable. You know, I, I, I don't know. Something's missing here with those two, but maybe they'll surprise me. Look, I, we know both of them go in the ring. It's just, the I don't di- know. Yeah, the care. It's just, it feels a little off. It does. Disconnect there. A little disconnect. Gacy picked up a win in singles against Brooks Jensen. So we'll probably get some iteration of Gacy and his crew. Um, maybe they get a shot for the, uh, the NXT tag team titles or something. Have a, a small feud with these guys with the dyad. But I just anytime Gacy touches something, I just become less interested in it. Yeah, me too. I, and I now thought, he's going after Grimes, right? Yeah, and poor Grimes. You know, I, I don't think this is going to do Grimes anything. I, I, I honestly think they're just giving Grimes something to do. Um, 
you know, I'd hate to see the guy go up to the main roster and not get used. Um, but, you know, I thought Gacy had a chance to be good in the very beginning. But I say this a lot, and, and I don't know why. Um, Gacy got that early title shot. I know, and, and it, it just it hurts you. And it, it, it just hurts you. He, I think, wasn't it Ciampa that buried him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Why did this guy get a title shot? He was just turning into this weird, you know, crazy right-winged conspiracy. And then it just changed from that to like Bray Wyatt ripoff. Yeah. I'm taking, I'm I'm going to kidnap your dad. And that did absolutely nothing for that feud. So I don't know. I just know I'm with you. I'm definitely, this is something I'm not looking forward to is Grimes and, and Gacy by any means. Alba fire picked up the victory over lash legend. Um, they've been having a, a TV feud for a while. So, you know, we don't even talk about her. This women's division is really strong because we, she's not even someone that's really been on my radar a whole lot, but she's definitely quality. She doesn't feel like she's quite as big of a star maybe, or ha- like she's connected as much, but she's solid in the ring and she can definitely go. Um, but Nikita, Nikita was, uh, challenging Kiana James a little bit later. She cut a promo there. So there was actually a lot. Uh, that they that they had on this show, lots of little segments, lots of small things. I mentioned the uh, the Wes Lee promo earlier, talking about how Trick Williams is trying to be Muhammad Ali. Um, <laughs> what'd you think about uh, the uh, the few things we just mentioned there? We got Nikita Alba and then uh, Wes. Yeah, you know, here's the interesting thing, and it's easy to say. I can't believe they haven't put the title on Nikita. I haven't. They can't believe they they haven't put the title on so and so. Not everybody can have the title all at no. once. No. And you know what? Not everybody is a good champion. I, I look, we're still in the infant stages of of Liv Morgan being the SmackDown Women's Champion. It's hard. Now, her it's, your run is harder than than the chase than getting we, we there. We talked about this with Britt Baker. You know, once you get it, it's what you do after it and how you're booked. And it's hard. Not everybody can be the champion at one time, and it, it just seems like once some of these guys and girls gets the title. It's not as intriguing as much as it was last week. You know what I'm saying? So I'm fine with it. Look, as long as Nikita is on that show every week and she gets to wrestle and she's involved into some meaningful storylines, I'm okay. I think they will build up to her because I think she's I think she could be dominating, a dominating NXT champion. And I, it's it's not, you know, when. Uh, I think she's a main roster player, and but I'm okay with her not being the champion right yeah, now. I'm o- I agree. I, I'm okay. I'm okay with her. We finished up with Solo Sokoa versus Vaughn Wagner in a Falls Count Anywhere match. That was pretty good. You know, Wagner is a, is awful when he has to cut promos and stuff. When he's just like a big bruiser, this has been one of the better versions of him. And and Stone is out there, so. <laughs> they 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 throw uh they throw Solo Sokoa outside in the dumpster, and they're walking away. And Stone says something like, "Yeah, he won the street. He's he's the street winner or something like he he's the winner in the streets." And then Solo pops up in the background, and Stone just starts freaking out. It's like, ah, this guy's crazy. He's nuts, man. I just I, I thought it was great. It was really funny, and they they did a good job with this here. And hopefully they can get. So, I mean, Solo felt really over here with a lot of what he was doing. Again, I hope they can get him back to where he was because it feels like the crowd really wants to get behind this guy. 
Yeah, it's a, again, I mean, you talk about somebody that could be put up on the main roster Friday night in that bloodline uh, storyline, and it could be him. Um, he's just good. He's good, and it sucked over the last couple of weeks. He's kind of felt unimportant. Um, there really wasn't a lot for him. We, we thought he was going to be uh, the next guy to take the title from Braun, but again, um, <laughs> as you said uh, at the beginning of uh, this week in wrestling, it was all about the dumpster, and uh, it's, uh, <laughs> people aren't getting kidnapped or hooking up or killed off or, or swimming with the fishes. Um, then they're they're going dumpster diving. But uh, Solo is uh, is a beast, man. He he's absolutely over, and he again young. There's n- there you don't have to rush these people, but at the same time, you know, don't wait. You know, don't wait too long and give us what we want and give us what we want right now. <laughs> Over to AEW uh, to finish up. We opened up the show with Jay Lethal versus Orange Cassidy. Uh, Jay Lethal, who was in that match um, against Ric Flair this weekend in the main event. So I think because there were probably a little bit of buzz about him, they gave an opportunity to open the show. And it looks like he's actually going to be the contender for Wardlow, which actually don't I don't mind. The only thing I I feel weird is... I just I don't really ever get a feel for the hierarchy in AEW of who is you know someone like Orange Cassidy. He has this awesome match against Will Osprey. Feels like they're going to start to really build him and then he just he kind of loses all the time. Uh in the match was was pretty solid. It was a pretty fun open to the show. Uh, Jay Lethal for, with the lethal injection for the win. I don't really have a problem with a lot of it. Post match, he calls out Wardlow. And Wardlow, uh, you know, Wardlow says that uh, next week they're gonna they're gonna put the title, the TNT title, on the line, Battle of the Belts. So, um, I, I thought the opening was fine, but I just I have such a tough time. It doesn't seem like they they are consistent with the way they book people. This is something we were talking about before we started uh, this segment. Is the in ring quality and a lot of the work is always going to be good. They have a like they have a lot of really talented wrestlers. It's the way you set him up, the stories that you're telling, I, I, you know, we'll see. You know, Jay Lethal will be someone who I'm sure will lose to Wardlow next week, but I just don't know what what you do with Orange Cassidy. My uh, uh, the ten the ten bell salute is going off for the ten uh, bell salute Cassidy for Orange Cassidy. I'm right with you. Here here's the thing. I, I you know somebody likes to to be a smart aleck on on Twitter. One guy says this is the. Uh, He's like the Matt Orange Cassidy is the mascot for AEW. You know, <laughs> um, the problem I have with it is the same problem you have with it. You can give quality matches, um, but the, the guy, there's no build for him. He's just putting people over. Uh, I had no problem with the match. I have no problem with Jay Lethal and Wardlow. Um, it's just here now, a couple of weeks in a row, we've seen. This guy lose, and it seems like every week we're talking about not too long ago, he was in the main event, triple threat, for the AEW world title, you know? And, and this, again, not everybody is going to be Cody Rhodes or, or the Young Bucks or Daniel Bryan every day of their career, but this was one of the hottest trans—the uh, the hottest transitions or transactions for wrestling, WWE was after Orange Cassidy. There were a lot of people that wanted this guy because he was one of the hottest stars on the indie scene. This guy was booked every weekend, and he wasn't being booked for cheap. And now he just seems like he's losing, and it's just like the, the gimmick is 
Well, you had him beat Adam yeah. Cole. Right. And then right before you're going to have Adam Cole wrestle for the title. <laughs> and then you have him lose a bunch after. I don't it's it's like if he loses to Will Osprey, totally fine. He had been hurt for a while. He was kind of off TV. But that match, now that he's back, could have springboarded him to stack some wins. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Fine match, but uh, at least we didn't start off with the world champion in the ring. That's true, him, right? That's true. But even but but when we get to his uh, so to start, I, I was just confused on a lot of things that happened in this show with these interim. Champ- championship challenger matches and I'll let you get there. I'm just frustrated. So I'm going to let you get there. The undisputed elite make the return. So Cole O'Reilly and Fish were out with the Young Bucks and we get a, a turn. The Adam Cole and Fish and O'Reilly turn on the Young Bucks. That leads Hangman Adam Page to come out and make the save. They're talking about how they're going to be trios titles. So these two trios look like they will be in the mix for the trios titles. But wow, we mean we have a mid-Atlantic champ that we don't ever see. <laughs> we have champions for Ring of Honor. We have an FTW champ. We have AEW championships. And now we're going to have a trios championship. This, I will say this is a good story. This is like one of the stories that they have in, in this company to tell with all these guys who were, you know, Lifers in this company who were some of the re or with mainly with the Young Bucks and Page coming back together, they were the guys that were in this company from the very beginning, and now you can have them coming back together and feuding with the elite, uh, the undisputed. So I'm I'm fine with this. This is, you know, this seems like it'll be it'll be good when we get there with them, and I'm sure if they have a tournament for the trios title, these two teams might be the ones in the finals. Yeah, it wasn't a shocker. I think this is what they wanted. Uh, when when Cole came over, I think it took a while to get here. It's been a lot of injuries. I'm hoping that Cole uh, is going to be a hundred percent now because it just seems like he hasn't had a very fair run in a AEW. He's had some good matches, but he's been hurt. Uh, it, it was no surprise, but it. it uh, we had a few already. The only the thing that I guess wasn't a bother, but we've had. Two matches of singles matches with Cole and Page, and then another match that they were in that that fatal four way. So it feels like we've had a lot of Cole right. Page stuff. I, yeah, and I'm glad you got there. I'm glad you took the baton and finished the four by four hundred because I was struggling <laughs> in my leg in my heat. I was struggling. It, it was just you know we expected it, but it's kind of like we've been there. But you know what? Once all six are in the ring. Uh, I'd like to see both of these guys, and the if if you're going to crown one of them champion, you know it, it's uh, you want these two to have at least be in the semifinals or the finals, you know, uh, of this tournament. However, they decide to do it. We had Moxley cut his promo um, about how Chris Jericho and Yuta were going to have a match later in the night. He said he doesn't care who, friend or foe, he'll uh, when the bell rings, he goes after him, and. That, that was really it for Moxley, right? Yeah, yeah, and then I think he got announced as a match for, is it Rampage, and he's not going to be on Battle of the Belts? Is he the interim champion? But why is he in an interim match? I don't know. I just got confused unless my notes are completely out. No, because off. then there's the there's Friday they were in, and this is, 
again, what ends up happening Thursday is night too. There's some kind of show on Thursday. There's night. an a, there's an added AEW elevation show. Then there's Friday Rampage. There's a Battle of the Belts, and they were announcing stuff for the next few weeks. So that's what gets really confusing because they start announcing way too many things way ahead, and you don't really know what or when. Yeah, he's defending the title against Mance Warner, I think, <sighs> who who won the Bunkhouse Battle Royal. At the Flair last match undercard on the pre-show, so I th- this is the gimmick what they're having him do with the inter- interim world title, which used to be like the IC title, like the workers' title gimmick. Right, right. It, it just doesn't feel right for your world champ. I just no. doesn't feels a little bit off. We had Thunderstorm versus Britt uh, Brit Baker and Jamie Hader. Britt and Jamie won. Jamie was actually the one who. Looked pretty good throughout this match. You think they're setting something up with maybe Jamie to face Thunder Rosa as a one, or maybe they have something going on between them. It felt like they were noticeably giving Jamie a little bit more love and more of a push in here. Did it not? Okay, let me let me good cop bad cop here. Let's talk about good cop here. I, I impressed that we have the the AEW Women's World Champion in a match on television. It's and this was. While. Earlier in the show, it wasn't in that yes. normal spot at the end of the night that they always put the women. And and not facing an opponent we have no idea about. I don't care how good they were or not. It just You're building up your roster. You've got four right. actually main women on your division that are out there. Yep. So, bravo. They got time. Okay? So, I was thrilled. Now, here's the bad thing. I didn't... Or the bad stuff. I didn't think it was a very good match. Um, and... Tony Storm, she may be the happiest she's ever been right now. But as far as a wrestling move, you can't tell me that she improved her status in the pro wrestling food chain by leaving WWE. And now it's just losing every week. That's she a, gets pinned all the time. It's a completely correct statement. She may be very happy. She may it may not bother her or it may not matter. But as if far it does, as then you know what? Then I then I'm satisfied. Then I'm okay with it. Yep, and and um, but your point is just for us watching the show. Her character on this TV show is not treated more important than the character on the other TV show that we saw. She, in fact, this character loses more often and is completely fine playing sidekick to the champ who just beat you. Right, but I don't. You know, I, maybe it's a start. You know, because I, I like. It, I, I, I almost agree with all of what you're saying. I like the. Like the segment overall, the fact that they put these women on out there, I like. I don't mind Britt and Jamie winning. I don't mind the Jamie focus. Just for Tony's on Tony's side, it doesn't seem like she's in a great spot. She feels like maybe what happened to Ruby. Remember when Ruby came in? Sure. She was supposed I to be the division look, changer. I'm just. I'm tired of these division changers not changing the division. You're right. I, I, that that Ember that Ember my, Moon. That was my point. Oh, poor Ember Moon. She's look. And don't we have someone new taking over the women's division in AEW now? Madison Rain, maybe she can help get a little direction there. Maybe she can help. Get a little... I think she's she cuts. This is her her debuts on Friday Night Rampage. The oh, we got a, a video about Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti having their wedding, getting married, which I thought was kind of fun. And they're showing all the videos and all the social media posts about how you know people hate them. And Eddie Kingston cuts it off. He challenges Guevara, so we'll uh, we'll get that moving forward. You know, we had a little slight interruption in our connection there, but Coop, 
I, I actually didn't mind the squash match on <laughs> AEW. Me neither. Kind of refreshing, you know, to to build someone up. You have someone out there that you know they're going to beat, and not have it be someone on your roster where you you have them go 15 minutes, and we don't understand. Okay, who's the champ? Who's the contender? This got Hobbs over, and I'm I'm very intrigued in the feud between Hobbs and Starks. Now I want to see these guys have a match. Yeah, and, and this is it looks not all squash matches are bad. We've been saying this for when, when done correctly, they're really, really good and they tell a mm-hmm. really good story. And this was good. And I look, kudos to AEW. I don't think Ricky Starks needed that title. I, I don't really believe in that title. Is it, I think it's just there. I think this is very smart for them to put Ricky as a face. I want to see more promos, and I think this is the a lot more meaningful uh, with. Instead of having an FTW title around a, ra- a waist or being part of Team Taz, because Ricky needs to be his guy, his yep. own guy. Ricky's mm-hmm. at best when he's cutting promos. Follow him on social media, and you'll know what I'm talking about. He doesn't I, need a is, mouthpiece a, or a group. No, no, this this is one of the big positives for me right now in AEW is the direction of Ricky Starks right now. Totally agree. Really like what we saw here. Just a quick video, just a little bit of Miro. I need more Miro. Yeah, he called man. out Malachi Black and the rest of uh, the House of Black for calling him for costing him the All Atlantic. Speaking, what? What are you talking about? All Atlantic? What? I don't know. What, I don't know what that is. Um, l- let's continue. We got uh, Darby Allen cut a promo, so they've got a coffin match next week. Darby Allen and Brody Quinn, uh, Brody King at Quake at the Lake, which is a terrible <laughs> name. Okay, let, let me let me stop you real quick. How many coffin matches are we going to have? Well, that's what Jimmy Corderas, former WWE referee, he was uh, recapping this show on uh, Wrestling Inc. He said the same thing. He said, "Isn't a coffin match supposed to be like a really big deal for the end <laughs> of a uh, the end of a long played out story?" And we haven't seen enough between these two guys to feel like they were in they were needing a coffin match. I agree. I totally agree. I, it's not special. I mean, how many times did we see the Undertaker buried in a buried alive match? Not every week. You know, if this is the only thing we've got to get Darby Allen over, then we got problems because he shouldn't be in these matches every week. So, the next match I actually thought was kind of fun. I will. I gotta say, it was Matt Hardy versus Christian. <laughs> and we've seen these guys I think Excalibur said they've been in the ring together 200 times before Plus we've seen this a lot Matt Hardy I haven't seen Matt Hardy wrestle this well In a long time He actually looked like he was moving pretty well And I think he was just Having fun wrestling one of his old buddies That he has really good chemistry with So the match was pretty fun And afterwards we have Luchasaurus come out and then Jungle Boy comes out and surprises, so it'll lead to them having a match sometime soon. I like this more than I thought I would when I saw it on there, because a lot of these times when Matt Hardy's been in the ring, I'm like, ah, he's not moving very well. He just seemed like he was enjoying getting to wrestle his buddy, and, you know, they're Christian and Jungle Boy. I'm still intrigued in that match, and I think they'll have a fun match. Jungle Boy kind of came out looking... uh Looking a little healer, he had like 
not heelish, but like a little more tough guy, you know, right. like uh, like it's like dark colors and stuff. So I guess this surprised me because I just really wasn't expecting much of it. I tell you what, you must have been a fan of Sunday Night Heat, weren't you? <laughs> I was. This was this was a no, Sunday was night. Even it was didn't Sunday Night Heat originally come on MTV or MTV Two? Yep. Yep. Oh, I, look, I watched it. So me I too. This I was guess. a Sunday Night Heat special right here, <laughs> Matt Hardy versus Christian. Look, I, look, I, I, I agree. I wish I could say no. I, I, you know, you have a lot of talent in AEW, and, and again, we we've, we've got WWE guys filling most of the time. Uh, there was no Claudio match or whatever, but it wasn't bad. I I, I thought it served a, an okay purpose. You know, um, I, I just I don't know. Other than getting Jungle Boy more over and making him look more of like a badass, and that I'm pissed, you pissed me off, Kristen, because you talked about my father and you've done this. Um, I, I think sometimes it just makes AEW look like, hey, let's. I, I don't know. I, I do think I agree with you. I, I do thought I do think Matt Hardy looked rejuvenated and that he was real happy to be in the ring with someone that was probably. He can respect more than one of these younger guys that he's having to put over. So I'm completely there with you. Daniel Garcia with a quick little promo. He called himself the Dragon Slayer. And that was it was pretty funny. That was uh, good. Uh, just super quick from him. And then oh, we got a video recapping the match between uh, Pac and Connor Mills from AEW Dark for the All-Athletic Championship, which we don't ever see. Ever. We got a quick segment, which I'm... Slightly intrigued by with Ethan Page because I like this guy. Yeah, I, I've talk. always had, I liked him in, in in Impact. Yeah, he can talk, he can go, he's got a good look, and he said he's not getting enough time, he's not getting enough respect. He he talks trash to the fans, and Stokely Hathaway comes out, hands him a business card, <laughs> so we might be getting a uh, a pairing with those two. That that could be pretty fun. These guys are funny on the mic. They could have some good work off, like working off each other. Yeah, and, and look, I'll take anything with Ethan Page, but it seems like this was what their gimmick was a while back. Him and Scorpio, remember, we don't get time. Then Dan Lambert came around. So it looked like we're revisiting old things because we don't have new things for Ethan Page to do. But I think this is, again, this is another, this guy is too talented to keep off of uh, TV. I, I think he needs to be involved each week. The, the dude was in the, what, the, wasn't he the Joker in the ladder match or something or the ace or something yep. a while back when he first debuted and came out with, with a vengeance and it's just been kind of blah. Remember he got stuck with Scorpio and the Darby sting feud that never really we amounted to anything that we remember, but maybe this is something new. Maybe it is. I'm not uh, up, up on the uh, Anna J stuff. Uh, She's, just, just she said she'll, she'll, Choke out anyone and she starts choking people out And so now we're supposed to believe she's just some kind of crazy badass I don't know Yeah, It kind of came out of nowhere And I'm just I, Yeah, I'm not really a fan of what they're she's doing She's a looker She's not very good in the ring We know that We know yep. she's a part of the what? The Jericho Appreciation Society The, the Jericho <laughs> Appreciation Society The worldwide leader of sports and entertainers And uh, <laughs> <laughs> We got to the dumpster match They the acclaimed are over right now, really getting over. Um, they have their rap at the beginning. He mentions Vince, you know, Vince McMahon's name, and he says you're positive like Joe Biden's COVID test. Um, <laughs> and just getting a Vince McMahon mention had the whole crowd go, 
Ooh, and, well, he doesn't work for WWE anymore. We can mention him. <laughs> and the match is kind of fun and and goofy. It's a dumpster match. It's just after the match, they they acclaimed win. They toss the uh, the gun club in the the dumpster. And then after the match, they're trying to push the dumpster off the stage, and they just don't have the 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 block. They just haven't rehearsed it. Yeah. They haven't practiced the spot. They got to wheel it over to this area and then it gets stuck. They can't really push it. The wheels keep getting sort of caught. It takes them about 30 seconds to even get it to the point where they can push it off. Then when they push it off, we see the tops open up. We see all this like padding and foam peanuts flying around. (laughs) If you just have the spot or the match without the big dumpster spot at the end, it would have been a lot better for me. Yeah, it's fine. Oh, the foam peanuts gets me every time, Gino. <laughs> it's, 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 I think when AEW just tries to do too much, it's when they, they get themselves it. in, yeah, I think in they trouble. Overthink it. And you know what? It's not just AEW, a lot of other wrestling promotions. Absolutely. Do. You don't need you know? to put a hat on top of another hat on top of another no. hat. There's a reason why a hat looks fine sometimes by itself. Yes. It, it works, you know? Um, what do they say? Lipstick on a pig? Lipstick you know what on I mean? a pig. Yes, sir. It's just, yes, it's just something, just like unnecessary kind of stuff. And I'm telling you, there's something there with the acclaimed. They, I, I like They're them. over. They are over again. That, that, they need to be on TV a lot. Yep. Oh, Every week, not. they can cut yep. the, the, the promos on the raps about the towns that they're in, about who they're wrestling, and they should be up towards the top and maybe getting close to a tag team title shot soon. Because 100% agree. They're that over right now And I, I've always said this about WWE, AW, NXT, whoever When someone's over, run with them Run with, run with them now, brother. Injuries, crowds change Things change Sometimes it's hard to get people back Run with them when they're over We get to the final match Chris Jericho versus Wheeler Yuta And this was for uh, the number one contender spot At the AEW championship No it's at the AEW interim World championship at Quake At the lake and uh, Quake at the lake <laughs> it's me that one gets me The um, The match was good and um, Moxley in his Promo last week had asked Jericho To go back to the Lionheart version that old version When Jericho put the lion Tamer on Wheeler Yuta At the good end spot. Good spot Man, he had his knee like digging into the back of his head, and it was good. And he told Moxley afterwards, "I'm gonna be the uh, the Lionheart, the last survivor of the Heart Dungeon." And uh, that's Jer- the best version of Christian Chris Jericho, anyway, right? It is. We all agree with that. It is. So this was this was fine. I thought it was a a, a fine way to to end the show. There there were some things I liked throughout the show, but just. For me, usually, and I think a lot of the things that we say from being fans of wrestling, having watched wrestling in so many different places, being people who have worked in like production and TV stuff, and it's I'm I'm paying attention to those little things. Well, let me ask you this, Gino: We're we're what over three years in to AEW. Do you think they have found their identity yet? No, I don't, and that's the problem because they were supposed to be. A an alternative, something different to WWE. I don't. I I think they want to be. In some weeks, they try too hard to be. Yeah. Um. But I, I for them, they're well. Their their highest rated show is their first show. Sure. 
Right? And that's that's how a lot of shows are because there's that buzz and there's that interest, but usually you can get back there once or twice for other big shows. When you have other other big shows, you know, WWE and Raw and SmackDown can still pop really big ratings when they promote stuff when they do and I it's a tough it's a tough time to really get a gauge for AEW because this week again, you know, we didn't have Punk, we didn't have Brian Danielson, Cole's been hurt, Kenny Omega's still out. They've had a lot of injuries recently to some of their top players, but I don't I don't feel like they're worse off than they were three years ago at the beginning. I don't know if I feel like they're way better off. I feel like I they're think, sort of in the same spot that they were. I, yeah, and it, it's a little concerning. I, I don't know if COVID hurt or helped them. I I, I believe it, it helped them hide a lot of problems. Um, and, and here we are three years in, I, I, I thought by now they would have found an identity and I just think they're so still sign happy of bringing any and everybody that they can get their hands on just to stack a roster. And it just doesn't feel like an organic wrestling show. If you're a fan of new Japan pro wrestling, you are a 100% fan of AEW. Cause that's what it feels like. There's a lot of hit or misses. You'll see, you'll see a wrestler or two. Not on for two or three weeks. I don't know how much the dark and dark elevation show helps them. I don't know how much Rampage even helps them. The, the ratings really aren't there for Friday night. It's usually taped before and after Dynamite, so you basically already know what happens um, uh, after Wednesday w- when spoilers are out. So I would like to see some identity stuff. And look, hey, you can't you can't predict. Uh, major injuries and, and they are going through them right now But I, I just think With one guy at the top And everybody else, meaning t- Tony Khan, if this is the way They're going to do it, they're not going to be Considered a major player with WWE Now look, they, they've got look 923,000, which was the, the ratings this week, that's nothing To shake a stick at, because no one Has ever no one has been ever to be able to be consistent with WWE. They're not going to get WWE ratings ever until WWE turns pulls the plug. Just not going to happen. I don't care if The Rock went over there. I don't care if Austin went over there. It's just not going to happen. It's different. When people leave the E and they go somewhere else, it's completely different. But I would like to see an identity here, and I still think we're fumbling and we're trying to make too many things stick at the wall. That's the, that's the key. The, it's just they, trying they to have do the too. Though they, they have, have the players, players. they have the players. I think they have some people behind the scenes that are very good and that are smart and that know what they're doing now. You bring in people like Jim Ross and not trying because Regal, they are, you know. And so I, they have. It, it's still sort of early, but if we're back here in two years and we feel the same way, you know that can't be the. This is the number two wrestling program, no doubt. This is the the number two behind WWE, but it for the amount of money they've invested in since the debut of their company, bringing in the Punks and bringing in the Brian Danielsons and bringing in some of the the W the old bigger names, it it hasn't had them grow the way I thought they would. You you took the words right out of my mouth. That that that's a that's a that's a fair assessment. I don't think anyone other than someone who's just a one hundred percent marker fanboy would argue against that. No. Uh, they have players. I like what they're doing with Ricky Starks. I think uh, Wardlow could be a massive star. He's kind of fallen off a little bit. 
What the hell is happening with MJF? That was I was just going to say before we left. We had to. Make I think that. that has been a big, a big, big momentum killer. Killer. Whatever. Whatever is going on here. If this was whatever's going on here, I don't think they've handled it well because number one, no. Tony Khan has always tried to be the guy that's like, I'm out on Twitter. I'm your friend. I'm reading the dirt sheets. I know what's happening. If MJF is gone from your company or is not around, why don't you say it? Why don't you address it? If this is a work, this is an awful work because you're not mentioning him on TV at all. No, he's not showing up in the crowd. Nobody's cutting promos on him. There aren't even like secret things mentioned that would tie to him. I I don't understand. The only thing that could be possible is this is real. And Tony's just trying to give him as much time as possible before cooling off and then, you know, trying to get another good year out of him because it feels like a long time away, but we're already into August of 2022. This guy's contract is supposed to be through January of 2024. So that's really only a year now and a couple more months. It's not quite as long as it was just a few months ago. I don't know if he's going to sit out all this time, but. It is bizarre that he is not being mentioned at all. And, uh, you know, look, for the longest, I thought this was a work. Each and every day, I, I, I don't think this was a work. I, th- I think what we were hearing, that he was not happy. He didn't like what was going on backstage. He didn't like what was happening in production meetings. Uh, he thought a lot of segments were just hunky. Um, I think it was true. And I, I, I'm with you. I th- And you don't hear any of the talent being asked about him. Maybe they are, and they just say we can't speak on it. Or maybe he's just, you know, he's moved to the hills of Idaho and or Wyoming, and we just don't know. But I, I think they're giving this guy his space. But, man, it was a big momentum killer because he was the best thing on their show for a long time, sir. Chad Cooper is here with us each and every week talking about everything going on in the world of WWE, AEW, NXT. There's uh, uh, some buzz right now about Triple H taking over in creative. There's a good energy in WWE. Let's hope that continues on and let's see if that makes AEW sort of raise their uh, their game a little bit. Positive stuff on the show this week. Lots of little things that I liked. Some of the things I think that could be cleaned up are mainly production stuff. It's all doable. It's all doable. It's all stuff they can do. Like you said, they have the players. That's that's some of the hardest part. They got they have the squad. Now it's just about giving them the right coaching and prep and mentality to uh, to really step the game up. Follow this gentleman on Twitter <laughs> and on Instagram at the Chad Cooper. My man Koopa Loop. When you and I are recording, you know what actually is coming on in just a little bit? The first NFL preseason game. Oh, we're we're already there. Tonight, we've got an NFL preseason game tonight. We are one, I think, five weeks away. Thursday, September the 8th is the first football game. So one, two, three, four, five Thursdays from now will actually be the first game of the year. So we'll have to get you uh, dishing out a play or two when we talk wrestling too when the uh, NFL starts back up, whether it be college or NFL or whatever, because we're getting there soon, my friend. Uh, Thank you so much, buddy. You have a great weekend. Look forward to talking to you next week. You got it, Gino. Folks, don't go anywhere. Still a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. Oh, yeah. Oh, wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.
The old wrestling rewatch is back. Andrew Champagne joins. We are without DZ this week. He'll be back with us in the coming weeks. We have a fun show to discuss, though, Andrew. This is a show that I don't know if I had ever seen top to bottom. I had, I think I've seen a few of the matches here and there. I definitely see. I've definitely seen clips of uh, of some of the big moments. But I will say, it wasn't as if you're going to have. Every single match on an 11 match card That's going to be 5 star quality But we have 2 matches That are fantastic Another tier of matches that are pretty good And then some really fun moments And just getting to see Some wrestlers at this particular time In NWA That was transitioning to WCW This was like a really cool You know, jump back in the time machine And head back to 1990 yeah, this was a lot of fun. It is not a perfect show, mind you. There are going to be some things that we're going to stop and take a look at, some things that might make you laugh, some things that might make you cringe. However, this was a really big deal for WCW because this was their version of Ric Flair passing the torch to the next guy. Now, as we know, Ric Flair would hang around for a while longer at the top and Sting, as a face champion, needed a little bit more work, as it would turn out, based on business that would come in the late latter part, excuse me, of 1990. But the Sting Flair main event was fantastic. The tag match featuring the Midnight Express and the Southern Boys. Uh, look, wrestling fans are no stranger to hyperbole, okay? This might be the best tag match of the 20th century. It's fantastic. It is at least a four and a half star match. And I don't think you could go lower if you if it's five to you, anything between four and a half and five starts getting just what your what your preference is. But for a tag team match, it is as good. Like you said, there's nothing that you can really critique about it in the intensity, the pace, the The storytelling, the timing. Yeah, it just it was I, I was. Unbelievably impressed by that match We get just fun combinations Right we get Dutch Mantel Or uh, here we get a, we get The nature boy Buddy Landell Right off the bat against Brian Pillman Just seeing Mike Rotunda Against the Iron Sheik None of those matches are incredible But they're just sort of weirdly Fun you get um, The debut of Vader Who is is there Like a better version of a squash Match out there um, maybe the Fiends debut against Finn Balor at SummerSlam. Maybe, yeah, yeah. and maybe it, it is the look, the feel. He's like a baby face. The people don't know what to do with this guy. He's a monster. He's got the headgear. It's got smoke and steam coming out. It it was fantastic. I've got to trot out one of my favorite bits of wrestling trivia. Um, we've said it on this show before, and we'll say it again. The role of Big Van Vader. Wound up going to Leon White If you listen to certain people Do you know who their first choice was? No The ultimate warrior Wow, you know what? I feel Try like I imagine the warrior doing Now mind you, he would have done Totally different spins on the character Different moveset, totally different guy But somewhere There is an alternate universe Of wow. Jim Helwig In that Mastodon headgear With the smoke shooting out of it uh, how bizarre is that? Wow. 
That's great. That is great. Yeah, this. I mean, we get we get an El Gigante sighting here. A couple of El Gigante sightings. Mm-hmm. A couple too many. Yes, we do get a match that is not bad between Lex Luger and Mark Callis, the future Undertaker. You, he, you like it more than I did, but we can talk about that when we get there. There are some at least some fun glimpses. Right. You see him do old school and some Undertaker stuff in there. I, I didn't mind the match at all. I think maybe because I didn't expect anything from this version of the Undertaker, this early era Mark Callis, but I didn't I didn't have a problem with that. And then the 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 main event, which what I like about it too is sometimes the flair main event matches can drag on a little bit, right? In this era, you'd get the 30 minute 40 minute and the steamboat matches are awesome, right? But some of his matches that would go a little longer with some of the other opponents sometimes would have those spots where it would drag. This match didn't really have that. It was 16 minutes and it, it was really fun. You could tell sting was amped for his moment. So the entire match, he just was, he was energetic. He was no selling stuff at the end. And it, it just felt like a big, big fight. Yeah. There was a lot about this show that even if stuff didn't get pulled off seamlessly, it felt the way it was supposed to feel. The mm-hmm. crowd was hot from start to finish. You get some really big moments along the way. Yes, it ends with Sting getting the big moment, but you get that tag match. You get the debut of Vader. You get a really fun opener with Brian Pillman doing a lot of stuff that guys today still do. You get Harley Race coming back, which at least initially sounds interesting until the bell rings and you realize, wait a minute, this isn't the Harley Race from the late 70s, early 80s. This is 50-year-old Harley Race, and what the heck is he doing here? You also get the historical curiosity of what is, for my money, the weirdest four-horseman lineup. Oh, yeah. This is bizarre. Barry Windham, and Sid, and Ole Anderson as the guy basically playing J.J. Dillon. It was uh, deeply weird seeing that. It was deeply weird seeing the fabulous Freebirds in male stripper mode. And we'll I was going to say, I don't we'll remember talk about a, we'll this. We'll talk about a couple of things in that match <laughs> that Gino, and I say this completely seriously, given what WWE has chosen to edit on Peacock. How did that not I get edited? stunned that several things from this match did not meet the cutting room floor, that nobody played tricks with the audio, you know they can play. Oh boy, you get that. You get a Rock and Roll Express Doom match that is not bad, but that the crowd just did not want, in particular because I just think when you have a three-hour show, three hours, and we can talk about this you know, in today's product too, three hours is a lot of time. And when you're talking about 11 matches, it was probably one or two too many still. From start to finish, fun show. There wasn't a lot terrible on this show. And there were some real highlights, too, that we'll get into. Yep. It's cool to talk about, and we'll have a lot to talk about as we dive into the Great American Bash 1990. So we're July 7th, 1990, and we're in Baltimore, Maryland. We get the graphics for the Great American Bash New Revolution. So it's these clips of Ric Ric Flair, Sting, the Horsemen, a lot of the major players for this show, and their heads are like 
on bodies of historical figures throughout his like U.S. history. It's almost like this clip art, uh, like Ben Franklin Flair and uh, the Four Horsemen, and we see the uh, clips of the the Declaration of Independence and, and Sting they... crossing the Delaware. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, they get us all set up for the show. This is right about the time when we're making the transition to Andrew from the NWA, the final shows under that umbrella to becoming WCW. This is a time of a lot of transition, a lot of turnover. This is a big moment and a big night because while throughout the late 70s and 80s, the title does bounce around here and there. For the most part, it's a flare and dusty Harley. Like it's a group of just a few really carrying it even when guys like steamboat win it's mainly to have him finish that feud with flair it's not necessarily it like steamboat's going to be the next guy right it's more right. of a moment for him same thing with carrie when von eric won it was they were having that memorial show after the passing of his brother it was a moment of course you're going to give him the title a lot of times when flair or a dusty or a harley would lose it was to each other or in a moment, it wasn't ever really having someone be the guy like what this was going to do and wanting to do for Sting. Right. Now, there were a couple of instances where weird stuff happened with the NWA title. Um, there was an instance in the Dominican Republic where Jack Veneno, a local <laughs> star, fought Flair once. Bizarre stuff happened. Flair came back, brought Roddy Piper with him. And try to imagine Roddy Piper's nasally voice on a microphone singing God Bless America while walking Ric Flair to the ring. <laughs> well, apparently a riot was about to break out at the end of that match. And Ric Flair laid down for this guy and took the belt back in the dressing room. <laughs> you also get stories well, of people like Ronnie Garvin, who had very short times with the belt. Again, though, that was part of a long-term storyline. As part of the NWA banner, generally speaking, the different regions individually made stars that would go up the ladder and maybe one or two of them would crack that inner circle and be part of a national uh, thing where the champion would take the belt and go around to all the territories. And it took a very particular kind of person to be able to carry that title. There were understandable concerns about guys like Kerry Von Erich because of uh, personal issues, and we'll leave it at that. There were also times where there were dependability issues, people making their bookings and whatnot, and there were also political struggles involved. But this was the mark of sort of a different kind of thing that the NWA and Jim Crockett Promotions were going to wind up doing. Jim Hurd was the guy at the helm of this. This was supposed to be the start of shunting Ric Flair down the cart. Jim Hurd's big idea, for those that have never heard this, <laughs> this and Gino's already laughing, and justifiably <laughs> so, go ahead and laugh. This is freaking ridiculous, was to take the most well-known guy from his promotion in the 1980s, a guy that, as it turned out, still had plenty left in the tank, cut his hair, give him an earring, and call him Spartacus. <laughs> I got nothing for how stupid that is. Flair would ultimately wind up going to the WWF for his run there. He came back. Shocker, WCW needed a guy to, you know, help carry the promotion as its top heel. Who do they turn to? 
Ric Flair. <laughs> it's, it's deeply weird. And at this time, Ole Anderson had just started booking WCW. He had the book in 1990. And at the end of the year, they opened the financial books and found that WCW had lost $6.5 million. In 1990, that is a metric ton of money. Ole Anderson was out. They brought Dusty Rhodes back in. Really, studying WCW bookers in the early to mid-90s, it's a fantastic, fascinating game of musical chairs. This show, though, for as much as you might want to knock Ole Anderson, and there are many reasons to do so, they got a lot right. Yeah, yeah, there there wasn't much wrong here with the with the results and what what happened. Let's dive on into it. We've got Jim Ross, good old Jr., and Bob Cottle getting us all set up for the uh, the entire show. First, Jr. welcomes us. Bob Cottle. They set the scene for the night. Quick previews of the title matches and the debut of Big Van Vader to come. First up, Brian Pillman versus Buddy Landell. So this is Flying Brian versus the Nature Boy Buddy Landell, which is kind of interesting that they would have him with the Nature Boy gimmick on the same show with Flair when there's so many just striking little similarities to them. You know, just little bit, you know. You can say striking similarities. I say outright theft. Oh, sure. Um, Sure. The thing that gets me. Because of the plane crash that he was in in the 1970s, Ric Flair very, very rarely took flat back bumps. It was a case where, as a security blanket, he would take body drops and press slams while falling over to one side. Buddy Landell bumped the exact same way. (laughs) And that's not a pleasant way to have to bump because you're supposed to bump flat on your back, feet on the mat, basically absorbing the shock and buddy Landell basically made a living for several years being a dollar store version of Ric Flair. Oh yeah. Where if you squinted really, really hard after having a couple of drinks, maybe you thought you were seeing uh, the, the, the genuine article like this, the hair, the trunks, the body type, even a little bit, but he wasn't, and he's not bad, but there's just nothing special to him. And the thing was, Ric Flair did take the Nature Boy name from Buddy Rogers, and that's how Buddy Landell got away with this. But Flair was not a carbon copy of no. Buddy Rogers. It was a completely different gimmick and it a completely was just the different name. set of mannerisms. Yeah, completely different gimmick. This was strange if you don't know anything about it. You now, would be looking at this thinking that he was someone associated with Flair. Almost right. like he was a, sure. like a mimic of him because it, yeah, it is yeah. like someone trying to, to sort of be like that. It's, it's like Damien Sandow turning into Damien. <laughs> Mizdow, okay. Yeah. But having said that, this match was pretty good. I didn't, you know what? I agree. I didn't mind it because you it's basic, but it really works because buddy Landell is the veteran cheap heel. Who's trying to get every little advantage that he can. You've got the young Fiery flying Brian who's more athletic but he'll take a chance or two and then buddy will capitalize on it I really didn't mind this at all um you get Brian slapping buddy to start big chap uh, chops from buddy we uh we actually got a, mu- a little music I'm, I'm in a ring entrance for flying Brian which was kind of cool um buddy was actually in the ring to start and 
You got the thumb to the eye, you know, all the little dirty tactics. That's the kind of thing that we're getting. He slows it down with the arm bar. He catches a cross body um, from Flying Brian and then big chops from Buddy. And the crowd was really loving Flying Brian. He, anytime he got back in control, they were really pumped. And the story they told just made a lot of sense. And both guys did their best. And it, it was a, a a match that went nine minutes. You can understand why they would put it in the opener because Flying Brian's there. The babyface is going to get the win. If they win a few more minutes, I wouldn't. I didn't want it to go like way longer or anything. But there could have been a little gear they could have gotten into if they if this was supposed to have been a more important match or bigger on the card or for a title or something. But I really had no problem with this, Andrew. Yeah, I this is a three star match because Brian Pillman who we all acknowledge was ahead of his time in a number of different ways. He's doing a lot of plucky babyface stuff that guys today are still doing. This was 1990. This is 32 years ago, Gino. And this is a match that if you put it on Raw or Dynamite, it'd fit. This was a case where they told a really cool story of the young athletic guy Actually, Mm -hmm. ultimately outsmarting the guy who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. It was 10 minutes. It didn't overstay its welcome. Now, is it three stars by today's standards? Probably not. I'm grading it on a little bit of a curve because, again, match was 30 years ago, and there are very few matches that are a genuine, say, four-star match or a five-star match now based on what the standards were at the time. But But it it checks like a lot of the boxes, right? I enjoyed it, yeah. The basic things that you look for in any wrestling match in a vacuum this this does that yeah, right for sure does it do it to all of the things to the highest possible levels well no you're not going to get that with someone like a buddy landell because he just doesn't have that capability physically but this was solid i didn't mind this at all and i read a recap or two on this match that were a little more negative than i thought i thought it was it was really fine and uh like anything when the crowd is getting into it and there aren't a lot of botches or and there's there's some psychology to it. All positives for me is we check in with Gordon Soley. He just says hello, mentions the main event, mentions the debut of Vader. We'll check back in with him a bunch throughout the night. But this was just sort of a, hey, Gordon's going to be here giving, giving interviews. Then we move along to Captain Mike Rotunda. Those of you who may not know the name, this was an IRS from his years in the WWF. He was, you know. He was Mike Rotunda in different places, but if you didn't remember the name, that was the the gimmick that he had as the uh, part of the cor- uh, the million dollar corporation and the tag team with with uh, Ted DiBiase. And he's going to be in a match against the Iron Sheik, who was in between stays in WWF. Because there's a great Sheik story here. Please go ahead. WCW wanted to fire him. Okay, they brought him in the previous year. It was a one-year deal or a two-year deal, one of the two, with an option for the last year. They expressed an interest in firing him, but they didn't actually go through the steps of terminating the contract. So the Iron Sheik got an extra year's pay from WCW. And if you know about WCW's office dysfunction, this should not surprise you. Lanny Poffo was on the payroll in the mid-1990s solely for being Randy Savage's brother. He worked maybe one or two matches and otherwise was not seen. I read that and laughed really, really hard. In no way was any of that a shock. Sheiky baby. 
and WCW are just such a fun match. There's just such a fun marriage, right? It just, it, it's a time. I just don't re- even remember this. I really didn't. Like, I, I can't remember seeing him in WCW or in NWA in, in many of these matches. And in a match like this against Rotunda, I got to say again, Andrew, this was nothing fantastic. I did not mind this match. The crowd was sort of into it. It did not go that long. It was six minutes and 45 seconds. I'm not going to put this on the reel of greatest matches, but Sheik wouldn't even really let Rotunda get his jacket off. So he attacks him early. He's going after him. True heel stuff. Crowd's really getting into this. And uh, Rotunda is playing, um, what's a Navy SEAL? Is that what he's playing Something, here? Something. It was weird a, a, because. A service, a cert, like someone. This was surf. after the varsity club gimmick had run its course. So Rotunda was sort of wait for it, wait for it, adrift. Waka, waka, waka. Well played. Honestly, I don't Very know well what done. the heck they were trying to do here. Um, he was there. He was just being, for lack of a better term, just sort of a generic baby face. I mean, it yeah. looked like he was playing this sort of voter character. But the thing that I liked about him. And you can look at matches that he had in really obscure spots in the mid to late 80s, too. He's not flashy, but he worked at a really nice tempo. He Mm -hmm. kept a really good pace. And matches were rarely boring when he had, I mean, no gimmick to really work with. When he became IRS, he was a heel and he slowed everything down to a crawl. And that was one of the reasons you hated him. And it was one of the reasons the gimmick worked. But. I didn't hate this match. Now, you mentioned Sheik attacking Rotunda before the bell. Did you catch what JR happened to call that when the Sheik bailed outside the ring? No. He called it a terrorist attack. Oh, my gosh. I did not catch that. Yeah, that one doesn't age too well, JR. Goo. And, yeah, you said it. There was some fun intensity, I thought, to start from both of these guys. And then... You get Sheik trash talking the fans, playing like a true heel. He he wasn't in. He was on his last stretch here. He didn't have much left. He could still do a few things that looked pretty good. And the gut wrench from Sheik was very very good. Uh, there was a belly to back. Rotunda counters a suplex. Then Sheik gets back in control. He's playing to the crowd again, and you get a a backslide, kind of out of nowhere for Rotunda to win. But I really didn't hate this. It wasn't, if this would have gone to 10 minutes plus, it would have been too much. It would have, but it, again, it didn't really have a whole lot wrong. The wrestling was fine. Both of these guys know what they're doing at this point. Sheik knows what he's doing. So he'll do a spot or two, give himself a chance to breathe, make the crowd get hot and keep them intrigued in the match. It was fine. If matches like this are some of the lower parts on the show, then your show is going to be at least at least good to above average to really good. Now, I have another trivia question here, Gino. Did you know that Mike Rotunda went to Syracuse? <laughs> JR yes. was laying it on so thick all throughout this show with everyone, their football background, where they went to school. Even for poor El Gigante, he didn't really have much to say. So he just kept talking about how excited he was that the Argentinian soccer team was in the World Cup. Yeah. (laughs) Now, JR had a couple of really good lines. I don't want to, you know, bash him too much, but it got a little over the top here. It did. The The bigger offense, though, 
he played into a wrestling urban legend that you can't explain to anybody now without saying they didn't have internet to fact check this stuff. JR says the Iron Sheik won a silver medal at the 1968 (laughs) Olympics. Yeah. That is a flat lie. There's no truth in that at all whatsoever. He did have a decorated amateur wrestling background. He did win a gold medal at an international competition in the early 70s, and he wound up defecting to the United States and serving as a coach for the wrestling team at the Munich Games in 72. Just say that. You don't even have to, you know, make up all of this stuff. Just say this guy was, you know, an internationally renowned amateur wrestler. He coached some of the best. He's been beyond whatever. Just do that. It just tries really, really hard when you don't have to. As far as the match goes, I've got it at two stars. It didn't offend me. At the very least, it was short. The pace was fine. As you mentioned, if it goes any longer, it's probably significantly worse. It, that trap was one that was fallen into by the next couple of matches on the program. But this one, I've got no complaints with. We then a quick, uh, we get a quick check in with Gordon Soli for a Harley race promo. He mentioned Tommy Rich beat him for the title years back. And then he thinks that Sting can beat Flair tonight. Nothing too crazy. Just a couple quick things from Harley. This was pretty much it for Harley, right? He didn't have much after this. Yeah, he came back, had a very, very brief run as a competitor. And then when it turned out that Vader needed a mouthpiece, hey, here's Harley. And it worked because Harley at 50 years old had worn out the bump card. He had no more active bumps left to take, but he was perfect for the role as Vader's sidekick, complete with that grizzled veteran voice. The fact that he had been to the highest level of the business before he gave Vader an even bigger air of star power being at ringside with him. So up uh, next, it's Doug Furness versus Dutch Mantel. What a weird pairing here. And Dutch Mantel looks so funny in the ring. He wrestles it with a singlet. He is incredibly hairy just like an absolute beast all over jr says that uh, he's not concerned with his appearance at this point in his career and uh we get a big pop for doug furnace who looks looks a lot like a young davy boy here he's just jacked up but he can fly around kind of like dynamite kiddish you know he's just got that sort of build the dude is like a built like a brick and he's throwing his you know, his strength and his speed around. We get a press slam by Furnace Dutch with little cheap shots here and there and kind of slaps him on the, all over the, the back of the head. And we get a, a an awesome drop kick and a backflip by Doug Furnace. Then Dutch avoids a big splash. So he ends up getting in control for a few minutes and he's going to really slow things down. We get a nice snap suplex by Dutch Mantel. A uh, big kick out by Furnace. He continues to do that every time it feels like, uh oh, is this a big move from Dutch? Furnace will have a really powerful kick out. And we got a belly to belly suplex for the win by Furnace. Did kind of come out. I mean, he we got a cross body, then the power slam, some kicks, and the snap belly to belly suplex. So there was a little bit of a build to it there for the win by Furnace. There were spots of this match that I, I liked. You know, Dutch, it's. The template of this match was sort of similar to the template of the opening match where you've got the veteran 
like Vandell was. You got the younger, up and coming, athletic guy like a Doug Furness. It went just a little too long. It felt like it dragged a bit more in the middle, especially when when uh, Dutch was in charge. It was just a, a little too much rest holding there in some spots for me. I think if we cut this thing down three minutes, I probably would have liked it better. But there were flashes and there were some oh, there were some fine things in here. It just I didn't really like it that overall. I thought it could have been better and in, in maybe a little like a, a little pruning. Yeah. Now, Doug Furness was still very inexperienced at this point. Furness started as a legendary powerlifter, and he has numbers that legitimately scare the crap out of you. Even more so, little known fact that I did a little research on before we started, he was allergic to chalk. So every time he lifted, he didn't have quite as good a grip on the bar as the other people he was lifting against. He was allergic to chalk. My goodness, it's insane. Now this, this is a weird styles clash because Furnace has been in the business a couple of years. Dutch Mantel is almost done as an active competitor. He would transition over. He did a lot of work behind the scenes and on color commentary for the USWA, Jerry Lawler's promotion uh, in the South. And it just didn't work for me. You mentioned the word flashes. That's what Furnace showed because he had a couple of really cool spots He looked great. He got the win, checked the box, but you could tell he was still learning the whole psychology thing because he couldn't really string stuff together. There was no flow. There was zero flow to it. Yeah. He didn't quite know how to go from point A to point B to point C, et cetera, et cetera. And also the real creepy part of this match, um, Dutch Mantel grabs this abdominal stretch sort of thing A, he holds it for about three minutes and just takes the air out of the crowd. B, they are intent on showing that Mantell is grabbing Furnace's tights for leverage, and they zoom in on his rear end multiple times. No one, and I mean no one, wants to see that. (laughs) Furnace does get a cool finish. If you're trying to elevate the young guy, it's a way to do it, but I think you hit the nail on the head. It was just a little too long. And if you're going to put Furnace over and if Mantel's almost done, make it a five minute semi squash yeah. and just be done with it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It, it was almost like it was protecting Dutch a little too much for this point of his career. Right. Which, which didn't need to be done. And we moved along to Jim Cornette. Quick stuff, but man, he was good here. Selling the six man tag, selling the tag team title match. Nothing. You know, he wasn't reinventing the wheel here, but just, you know, putting everybody, getting everybody over. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, It's, uh, yeah, I, I hear you there. We, we, you can not, you know, we can all Cornette nowadays, but damn, at this point, it's so fun to see Cornette and Paulie dangerously doing some good work. You know, oh, they were, and they had that match together that we had talked about. Mm-hmm. It was a six man match. Cornette was not a wrestler. Paul Heyman was not a wrestler, and my God, did it work! It did. I forget what show that was. It's but we've got it. Mind at the moment. I yeah. know we. I know we did it. I know we had it, and it's one of the most fun things that I think we've watched as a duo or trio or as however many of us were on that show. That was a lot, lot of fun. So we get Harley Race versus Tommy Rich up next, and this was 
a rematch of a, the NWA championship match years earlier. The problem was the years earlier, <laughs> a part of that, that Harley race was really um, it right now. This was probably one of the, the lower parts of the show. And you just didn't really expect a whole lot. Tommy Rich was in pretty good shape for this point of his career compared to where he had been. They kept talking about how he had slimmed down, lost 20, 30 pounds. There was a quick back and forth to start. Then the pace really slowed. And Harley went shoulder first into the steel post. He, good bump. He got good, yeah, it was a good bump. And then a lot of the basic stuff you'd expect from him, lots of knees. There was a pile driver that he hit, and the impact took Rich outside. He hit a suplex on the aisle. Harley race did, and then a clothesline over the top rope by Rich, and then a slam to race on the floor. Rich with a suplex, but a quick belly to belly by Harley, uh, a swinging neck breaker that was fine. Rich was back in control. Both men, um, went, both men were tied up, and they went over the top rope. So it was not a DQ because remember, at this point of WCW NWA, over the if you threw someone over the top rope on purpose. It would result in a DQ when Rich goes out to the floor or actually he climbs up from the floor to the top rope. He goes for a cross body and Harley race rolls him through Harley race gets the win in six minutes and 30 seconds. You're going to see matches that are worse. It's just this match had a very low ceiling of what it could be at this point of Harley races career. So it just wasn't going to be able to do much more, do much more than this. And when you're a guy like Harley race at this point in his career, like why do you, you know, you don't need to be doing this even, right? You, you've done it all. You don't need to be in five minute matches. And you know what? Power to anyone that wants to do this, but he didn't do it very much longer. And it was because he just didn't have a whole lot left that he needed to prove. Yeah. They tried to market this as a battle between prior NWA champions, which is true. Mm-hmm. Having said that, it rings like them trying to pit a match between a 50-year-old version of The Rock and Jinder Mahal and saying they're both former WWE champions. Tommy Rich was champion for about five minutes, um, and he was never anything more than a regional draw. Harley Race, 10 or 15 years prior, was probably the toughest man on the planet. Now, they did this match, and the first couple of minutes are fine. We mentioned Harley taking the shoulder first bump through the corner and Tommy Rich work on the arm. That's fine. Rich then takes a pile driver and I watched this and I was reminded of Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam and the match with Hogan where he's overselling everything because yeah. Rich bounces up. You can almost see the little birds circling around his head as he's in La La Land and he flops onto the apron and then Harley suplexes him onto the runway and drops a knee. That much was fine. I had no issue with the match up until that point. Then they get back into the ring, and Gino, the next five or six minutes feel like a half hour. Um, if you're going to take any match off of this show, it's this one, and I don't think the show is any less for it. There was just no reason to do this. No. There was no reason to put Harley over anybody at this point. If you're going to bring him back as, say, a commentator or as somebody to go to for segments like what he did with Gordon Soley earlier in the evening, totally fine. And he wound up knocking that role out of the park as Vader's manager a couple of years later. This though, no buys. And, 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 and at this point of their career, if you want to use a veteran and, you, and they still want to have a match, give them a story. 
Right? right. Give him a story in a match that's not for a title or anything, but that's sort of a novelty match, like Bruno coming back and wrestling matches with his son, or when Dusty would do the same thing with Dustin, you know, and we'd, we'd get Larry Zabisco coming back to have the match against Scott Hall. Have it be a story, like you said. He's a commentator. Someone talks trash to him. He stands up to Gordon Soley like a Piper did at one point, you know, something like that. That's fine. But it just seemed weird to be having him out there on this show in just a nothing sort of throwaway match that they tried to shoehorn the storyline in. Because like you said, what they were saying was factual. These two guys were both former champions. They did have a match against each other for the title. But neither one was a prime player at this point. Neither one had anything really going or was getting a big push. It just seemed a little bit. This seemed like a TV match, you know. If uh, that, if that. If that, you know. We move along to Paul E. Dangerously and Mean Mark being interviewed by Gordon Solie. So Mean Mark Callis, The Undertaker, before he became The Undertaker, he's looking like how he looked in Suburban Commando when he was in that movie. If you've seen him in in there, uh, he plays the great bad guy. Um, So Paul E. puts over Ric Flair. Then he talks about the U.S. title match, says that they're going to Destroy Lex Luger And Mean Mark Rips up a Lex Luger t-shirt Lex Luger and t-shirts Hmm where (laughs) have I heard Something like this before We're going to talk about that promo later by the way The other thing that I noticed In this one was And look if you're a heel Manager and you're doing the bluster act You could do a lot worse Than comparing your bad guy to Ric Flair right well Paul E. calls Mean Mark Ric Flair's heir apparent. And if you want to talk about gimmicks that stand the test of time That's that funny. you can rewatch and that have staying power, Ric Flair to The Undertaker is a pretty darn seamless handoff. That's not bad. That is not bad. <laughs> As we get set for oof, match of the night for me. I mean, the main event was a great match, so I'm not going to take, I'm not taking anything away from it. We're not knocking Ric Flair and Sting, but this might be the best tag match we've ever watched. This is a good match. And I think because I knew the match was going to be good, I just was not expecting this this, from this match. And we had the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette versus the Southern Boys. This is the NWA United States Tag Team Championship match, and we got a fast start right off the bat with the Midnight Express attacking Steve Armstrong from the Southern Boys. He is just flying around all over the place. So much quickness, and it's not as if what they're doing are moves that are crazy. There's some there's some uh, uniqueness to them. But they're just doing everything at such a pace and intensity and with such purpose. As Bobby Eaton tries to slow it down, but Smothers comes in big quick, uh, big kick. Cornette says karate is not legal in wrestling. And then we get big Cornette sucks chance. Bobby is just getting destroyed early on in the match. And Stan Lane comes in and we get a karate battle between How cool was this? Lane and Smothers. Oh my gosh, this crowd is going nuts And we get some fun mat wrestling I mean, this was a blast The cra- and, and they're doing like backhands And we're getting this just a, like a two minutes in the middle of this match That 
almost looks like it's a joke, but the guys are taking it seriously and actually, you know, getting some some strikes in. This was fun. It's funny. Yeah. Uh, um, go real ahead. Quick, you mentioned Steve Armstrong. He starts the match, and he looks like a star. Oh my! He gosh. has the look. He has the size. He has the athleticism. He has the move set. I actually wrote down why was he never a thing. I know. And then I looked at the guys across from him. Look, if any of you out there in podcast land haven't seen a lot of Midnight Express matches, but are fans of more current wrestling, there is a reason that FTR uses a remixed version of the Midnight Express theme music. They do a lot of the exact same stuff and have a lot of the exact same strengths as a tag team. It's nothing overly blow away. But the pace they work at for as long as they work at it is incredible. They're always on the same page and they make anyone, I mean, anyone look like world beaters. I mean, this is, this is so good. So post karate battle, we get some fun mat wrestling by Lane and Smothers. Smothers takes a dive and then he drop kicks Eaton through the ropes, which was just a blast. It is all Southern boys early. Then we get a fun spot where both of the Southern boys try to pin both of the Midnight Express and the, the crowd's <laughs> just loving this. And Cornette distracts the ref. And now Lane is able to toss Smothers over the top rope. Jim Cornette hits Smothers with a tennis racket. And now the heels are in control. We get double team offense. Eaton with a top rope leg drop. That looked great. Lane, I was so impressed with him. Unbelievable. He looked fantastic in this match. We got a great Neck breaker by Bobby, then a double underhook suplex by Lane, quick tags by the heels. You're getting little small flurries by Smothers, but the heels always get back in control. And finally, we get the Armstrong hot tag. The crowd's going crazy. He's a house of fire. They hit a drop kick off the top rope where Lane is being held up. It looked like a finisher for them, but the ref wouldn't count because both of the baby faces were in the ring. By the time he counted, Heels were able to kick out. Eaton actually pushes Armstrong off the top rope. He sort of bounces off the ropes. It looked like a brutal bump that he took off the ropes here. And the heels hit the rocket launcher, but just for two. And there's chaos all over the place. Lane actually kicks Smothers in the back of the head. And then Eaton rolls him up. This was unbelievable. It did not stop. There were... There weren't moments that were slow moments to rest. It was just bringing it down for a slight second to bring it back up. And the quick tags made sure that there weren't very many dull moments throughout the match. All baby faces early. Then the the heel spot where you would expect where they worked on the baby face for quite a bit. We get the hot tag spot. And then at the end, it's just back and forth. There's all this crazy stuff happening. Cornette's getting involved. This is, I had it at four and three quarters. I mean, if you want to say five, four and a half, whatever, I think this is in any top three, five, one group of tag team matches that we've talked about here. I get any one, I, I can't even remember one in particular that I would say was undoubtedly better, but like in a different way, the Ricochet, Alistair Black one that we talked about from NXT against the Viking Raiders just a week ago or you know a couple couple shows ago last time we did there there have been some good ones but wow for this time 
this period in a match that I wasn't quite expecting it from either. This thing was awesome. Yeah, I've got it at five stars, which is no shock to anybody that's been listening to this podcast for the last 45 minutes or so and heard me sing this match's praises. Um, so a little odd bit here. The faces come out and they're wearing the Confederate flag everywhere. File that under things that will I never know. I had that again. as a note too. Uh, yep. So weird. Yep. Now again, WCW was a Southern promotion based in Atlanta. So not the biggest shock there. Just a sign of the times. One of the many reasons I love this match though, there were three or four spots near the end where I bought the finish. All four guys go up into the ring. You get Armstrong getting dumped and the Midnight Express hit the rocket launcher. I bought that as the finish. Armstrong kicks out. I had forgotten that the Southern boys do the switch where Armstrong goes out, Smothers goes in, and he gets a small package for a two count despite not being the legal guy. And then you get Stan Lane sneaking up from behind. He gets a kick to the back of the head. Bobby rolls him up. It's 18 minutes. There is not a single second of wasted motion in this match. The psychology is is on point. And the thing with the Midnight Express is this. Yes, they're supposed to be the heels. And there are times where they take some shortcuts. They don't, for the most part, wrestle like heels. No. And in this particular match, not at all. Right. Well, they are they, going they, their heels because Cornette is there. He's got the tennis racket and he doesn't shut up for 18 minutes. It would not have been surprising to see the Midnight Express have a sustained babyface run. Yep. And in fact, when Paulie dangerously got his guys together, Cornette, Bobby Eaton, and Stan Lane were the baby faces mm-hmm. in that feud. This crowd so, would get into them at some moments, yeah. right? When they were doing just the awesome, fantastic stuff, the crowd would, would be into them. And yep. they were just into great wrestling. Yeah, this moral was awesome. of the story, if you're a fan of the tag teams that are out there today, the FTRs, the Young Bucks, anybody in AEW or WWE, spend some time and watch some Midnight Express matches. Yeah. They stand the test of time. They're so good. The psychology is always on point. And while the Rock and Roll Express were great, the Rock and Roll Express deserved their induction into the WWE Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. And if you can track down Jim Cornette's speech where he inducts them, that one is fantastic. He talks about those two having a hover round with a double dropkick setting at the nursing home whenever they go into it. It's a lot (laughs) of fun. They would not have been as big as they were without the bad guys that pushed them. And that's what the Midnight Express were. This was good. Good stuff here. As we moved on to a Gordon Soley interview with the Freebirds. Makeup, glitter. Uh, they cut basic promos on the Steiners. Wow. I forgot about this look for them. They were literally looking like they were male, like you said, male strippers at the time. I mean, uh, eyeliner, makeup, glitter, sequins on everything. It was not the rocking Freebirds that you might have remembered from five to ten years earlier but we'll get to them in a few first up we get the debut of big van vader poor z man who just runs on out there (laughs) jogs on out there looking like a a white meat baby face and here comes vader whoo full headgear looks awesome and he's playing to the crowd like a baby face he 
he, he's got like a pre-match a match ritual that he does too, and the headpiece shoots out smoke. He's billed at 399 pounds, and I mean this match is all Vader. Big punches, a splash, a short clothesline. Tom Zanka hits a, a the Z-Man hits a drop kick, barely grazes Vader, barely moves him. A big press slam from Vader, a big elbow drop, a suplex. The crowd is sort of stunned, silent. They don't really don't know what they're seeing here. He hits a big clothesline and then a splash for the win. This thing went two minutes. This was as perfect of a debut as you could possibly have in the middle of an important show where you're going to be crowning a new champ. You're sort of feeling like you're moving into a new era. There are a lot of big things happening on this show. And then right in the middle, you've got the debut of this guy, Big Van Vader, who's going to be a major player for the next what, five about five years or so. Yeah. Um, Tom Zink played his role perfectly here. The instructions were very clearly Vader never gets knocked off his feet. And that's precisely what happened. Zink sells everything like he's just been shot or hit by a battering ram or pick your euphemism here. This was really cool. You could tell Vader was going to be somebody. You could also sort of tell they didn't really have plans for him beyond just go smash random people and we'll figure the rest out later. But if you're a WWF guy from the mid to late 90s and you only know the Vader that you saw there, you don't know Vader. Watch early 90s WCW and you will see a guy that in a lot of ways was the prototype for a lot of the things that Brock Lesnar did when he broke in and some stuff he still does. Without Vader, a lot of things look markedly different as far as presentation go for a lot of the the monster type guys that get built up by major promotions even 30 years later. Good stuff again. Another good uh, good debut here by Vader. Uh, just a good moment on this show as we move along to Gordon Soley interviewing the Four Horsemen. This is, like you said, it's just a weird group to see. You got Sid, Arn, and Wyndham. Wyndham talks to start, then Oli. They really don't say much here. Nothing, nothing too spectacular. We move on to the Freebirds versus the Steiner brothers. Freebirds with their sequins, thrusting. They just look horrible here. They look horrible, but we need to point this out. Bad Street USA remains an awesome bit of business. I agree. I agree. And the Steiners come out with the big chance for the dog face. We get the barks and the Freebirds attack right away. Another heel team or another heel going right after the baby face uh, instantly. Easy way to get, you know, some heat right off the bat. But Steiner lines all over the place. Rick, then Scott. JR mentions that the Freebirds lost the tag team titles to the Steiners in 89. Then we get yikes. Some racial slurs being directed at, no, not racial, uh, homophobic, homophobic yeah. slurs being it's, directed it's, at. It's uh, a six-letter word that starts with the F word. You don't which need to we've be all, overly dramatic. And it's unfortunate. No, but it's unfortunate. I mean, this is something that, when growing up in school, this this word was flung around all the time. It, what? It yeah. Didn't, it did. It it was common, and this was a chant that was like being directed by the Steiners too. He's like pumping yeah. the crowd up as they're chanting this. It's one of those things when you watch back now, it's hard not to cringe at stuff like this. Yeah, and look, we have been critical on this show of WWE making edits to stuff that happened in the past. We have talked about them doing that to 
it, shore up errors in storylines or give off messages they want to give off. There are certain things that you can edit out that I don't think anybody would have a big problem with. I mean, they edited out the match with Roddy Piper and Blackface at WrestleMania against Bad News Brown. I am stunned they didn't edit this out. And the only reason I can think of as to why is it's not technically a WWF or WWE show. It was their competition that they beat. If this was a WWF or WWE show and they were, say, chanting this at gold dust in the mid-1990s, you bet your bottom dollar they'd edit that. Yeah. So Rick Steiner dominates Garvin for a little while. Hayes tags in. He gets a ton of heat. And Rick Steiner bites Michael P.S. Hayes right on the ass. And then JR says There's really no delicate way to say that. No, yeah. no. JR says that uh, that Garvin's going to tell us if there's a bruise on there. And then uh, <laughs> I thought that was I kind of chuckled on that one. Steiner, Scott Steiner comes in and he just sort of shoves uh, off arm drags, drop kicks. Freebirds act like they're about to leave. They walk down the aisle, but they end up coming back. We get the Freebirds suck chance and Scott with a big double underhook into a powerbomb. Which was kind of fun Then a tilt a whirl Some big power moves on Garvin Hayes is calling for a timeout here He backs off down the aisle Now we get Michael is a bitch Chance <laughs> Here um, And Hayes is in control of Rick For a little while so the heels in uh, With the advantage he hits a bulldog Garvin comes in he uh, works over For a little while with some punches A sleeper He hits a uh, a slam it looks a little bit weird but it work and, and then we get Rick with a burst of energy For the hot tag to Scott Frankensteiner to Michael Hayes Garvin tags in but the ref doesn't see it Garvin hits a DDT to Scott But Rick ends up taking care of Michael Hayes With a belly to belly And he places Scott on top for the pin It was fine and it, was, it was a solid tag match It just Unfortunately we had this incredible tag team match A little bit earlier on the card So you can't help but compare them a little bit And this obviously isn't anything close to that But this is a good tag team match It just didn't take the next level to great Or super memorable or anything like that Yeah I have it at two and a half That's Um, that's exactly where I am Yeah yeah, this was a styles clash And there was only so much that they were going to be able to do with that The Steiners at this point were doing things very few other tag teams had ever done. Most of all, the Frankensteiner, Scott's finisher, with this 240-pound muscle-bound dude jumping five feet in the air on someone's shoulders, rolling through into this Hurricane Rana type thing. Nobody his size was doing something like that. It was freaking incredible. They were doing stuff like the Steiner screwdriver, which is the most batshit insane finishing move that was regularly busted out in North America on a regular basis. And then you get the Freebirds, who were great at drawing heat. And you can tell based on the chance that they got in this particular match, because you had to figure that's about what they were going for. But they worked at a much slower pace, and the style clash was evident because... Not a ton happened until the last three minutes of this 12-minute match. Now, it wasn't bad and stuff built to that crescendo, and we can live with it. The other criticism that I've got is a number of tag matches on this show 
ended in very similar ways with all four guys in the ring, the referee chaos. Yeah. The referee barely keeping a lid on things, something happening and somebody scoring a pin. Now those finishes can work and it's not like the finishes were carbon copies of one another, but we just talked about the tag match with the midnight express ending that way. This match ended that way. The horseman dudes with attitude six man match ended in a multi-way brawl. Yeah. We got a similar finish in the tag title match later on in the evening. It, it just seemed, I don't want to use the word lazy because it's again, they were not carbon copies of one another. They did some different stuff, but it did get a little bit repetitive. Still mm-hmm. two and a half star match wasn't bad for the time. It was probably about three because nobody was doing the stuff. The Steiners were doing it ages reasonably. Well, it's fine. I can live with it. Yeah. Yep. We get a quick check in uh, with JR and with Coddle, and we move on to the six man tag. We got some big cheers for the baby faces, and El Gigante is making his debut here. So he didn't know where to stand outside the ring. You could tell because he, he probably hadn't been in. He went to go stand like in the other corner of the ring because it was a six man tag, and the ref had to kind of bring him back over and show, hey, no, you're supposed to, to stand over yeah. here. So, uh, really quick before go we go. So El Gigante was drafted by the Atlanta Hawks to play professional basketball. The Atlanta Hawks at the time owned by one Ted Turner. Well, El Gigante had a very bad knee problem and that wound up costing him his basketball career. Rather than consider him a sunk cost, Ted Turner said, you know what, kid, you're going to be a professional wrestler. And as a result, because El Gigante had something closer to a guaranteed contract than most people in the locker room, we had to deal with him a lot over the next several years. Look, think of it this way. The Midnight Express, less than an hour earlier, had one of the better tag matches you're ever going to see. And that tag match was fifth on an 11-match card. And you're telling me this is a semi-main event? I feel bad for Midnight Express right here. But it's a weird assemblage of people, both on the face side and the heel side. Junkyard Dog is on his last legs. Paul Orndorff, nobody really remembers as a babyface. People remember him as the heel that main evented the first WrestleMania. They're the faces. The heels are the horsemen. Arn Anderson fits. Barry Windham sort of fits. Psycho Sid or as he was called, Sid Vicious. You could also call him Sid Justice. You could just call him Sid. I don't care. They're walking down to the ring. Arn Anderson and Barry Windham are not old guys at this point. They look ancient compared to this six foot nine guy that's built like a Greek god walking alongside them. And even Arn Anderson, who a couple of years later would get stabbed almost to death by Sid, remarks to this day, If you can find someone with a better look for the business than early 1990s Sid, I don't know who it is. He was over always all over the place. We got, we want Sid chance throughout this match too. When he comes in, you're right. It's, it's just like a weird grouping. Um, Sid and Orndorff go at it early. Uh, I will say Paul, Paul really tried here. He wrestled in a pretty around really well at a pretty quick pace. JYD with the headbutts, uh, Orndorff very fiery early on. 
The heels came in, but every time El Gigante would come in, they would all run off scared and uh, and run outside. JR says that El Gigante is bigger than Andre, and he kept intimidating the heels while standing uh, on the apron. JYD comes in with some headbutts. Wyndham gets close to Gigante, but then he gets scared. But we did get a Wyndham DDT. JYD no-sells everything. A suplex by JYD. Is he Samoan? If you hit him in yeah, the head, nothing you happens. Can't, the headbutts, you don't want to hit J, JYD in the head ever. Punches to the face, headbutts, anything to the head, no sell. Going to have no effect there. We uh, we had Orndorff back in again. Lots of intensity from him. And the, yeah, the we want Sid chance. Uh, Wyndham was back in. Heels got the advantage. Sid dominates for a little bit. Tags in Wyndham. We get a big suplex by Wyndham, and Arn comes in. JYD uh, then uh, makes his way in. All hell breaks loose, and the heels throw JYD over the top rope, which ends up in a DQ. So the baby faces get the win there. El Gigante did not even get into the match legally, but post match, he he basically pushes the guys at um sort of at each other, like he just sort of pushes a couple of the. The horsemen, and then they all scatter. You could just tell that this poor guy was green as grass at the moment. They did not even want to let him do anything that could hurt himself or hurt anyone else. So he did not get in. He was there to look big and menacing. And the most he did was basically put his hands on the back of one or two of these guys and give them a shove. So Arn Anderson, in typical Arn fashion, he gets knocked around, winds up in the face's corner, locks eyes with El Gigante, immediately goes on his rear end and sort of scurries away while looking wide-eyed in terror. That was funny. I enjoyed that. Credit to Arn Anderson for that. These guys tried. There was just only so much that you could do with the six guys that were in the ring. You had El Gigante, who at this point was a wrestler in name only. You had the junkyard dog, who was pretty much done. Orndorff did his level best to make this thing watchable. So did Arn. So did Barry. Sid wasn't quite there yet from a wrestling standpoint, but while he had a number of big spots he could go to, unlike Doug Furness, he sort of knew how to string it together a little bit. I had this at one and a half stars, large part because of the finish. This was supposed to be one of WCW's biggest shows of the year, and you're going to do a lame DQ finish here. Week. That's another point to this. The the weird DQ over the top rope finish just or over the top rope finish just didn't feel feel great. Just sort of leaves a bad taste in your mouth at the end. So you know you'll see worse things, but this wasn't a, a highlight uh, on the show uh, in any way. As we move along, Gordon Soley interviews Lex Luger. Quick promo about Mean Mark. Uh, then he mentions Paul E. He says Sting has a look in his eye. He will be the next world champ. You had said you wanted to talk a little bit about this interview. Uh, yes, yes, on. I did. I did. Um, so he said that about Sting, fine and dandy. He also said it's not too hard to tear a T-shirt apart. It took twelve years, twelve long years, but maybe thirteen in two thousand two or two thousand three. The Almighty T-shirt. Got its revenge in the form of a viral promo. So Lex Luger 
who was still wrestling actively at this point. He had not had his stroke that would ultimately almost kill him and cause him to find religion and thankfully be in a far better place now than he was 20 years ago. He was wrestling one Ron Killings, a.k.a. R-Truth, at an independent event. And they tried to do one of the very first promos that was supposed to catch fire on the internet to try to build interest for this match. Remember, this was early 2000s. Social media was not a thing. Lex Luger tries to tear apart a t-shirt. The t-shirt stays intact. It doesn't even bend or bolt. I no, Not a clue. Not a clue what was going on here. Not a clue what Lex Luger was on. But to see a guy with that kind of physique struggle to tear apart a t-shirt 12 years after this precise promo, it was funny the first time I saw it as a wrestling fan in the early 2000s. With this knowledge, it just takes on an entire new level of hilarity. It is. <laughs> and all I'll say to end this is just, thank God Lex Luger is in a far better place. If he's found religion, that's great. Thankfully, he's he's clean. He's living a, a productive life because things were not good for him in the early 2000s. And I'll I'll spare you all the details of all of the Miss Elizabeth stuff and just say, Thankfully, he's in a better place right now than he was at that point. First out, it's Mean Mark with Paul E., then Luger in the pink tights. A little bit of a slow feel-out process to start. Some Paul E. sucks chance. JR calls Paul E. the Andrew Dice Clay of the NWA. And uh, JR oozes over the real-life backgrounds of both of these guys. Luger keeps getting the advantage with wrestling. Which is a little bit of the story they're trying to tell early on Is that Paul E. wasn't expecting Luger to be a wrestler Or a capable wrestler And, you know, I thought they moved around pretty quickly After that, the initial feeling out process Then Alex Armbar slows things down a little bit And that that's the problem in some of Lex's matches When he really does slow things down with the armbars And things get slow Mark gains control We get some punches He works the arm We get some, uh Fun offense from Mark There's a leapfrog, some uppercuts A Fujiwara armbar And then he goes up top and he hits Old school Which the crowd was pretty into Seeing a big man walk the the top rope Like that, it wasn't clean or All that smooth yet, but You again see little glimpses here In this match, I didn't think this match Was fantastic, but it was more fun And nostalgic to me In just getting to see these two guys going at it At this point, we get the uh, yeah, the you know, back and forth punches and elbows. Lex goes for a big splash, but Mark moves. Lex goes over the top rope. Then they go at it outside for a little bit. Back inside, sunset flipped for, uh, by Lex for two. The announcers start to sell the strength of Mark's punches. Suplex by Mark. Lex no sells. Then a big clothesline. He takes over. He puts Mark in the torture rack. But as he spins him around, Mean Mark's feet. Hit the referee and knock the ref down Paul E comes flying in To hit Lex with the phone I thought that was a pretty funny spot uh, For just a two count Sloppy looking clothesline here Mark sets up for a heart punch Towards the end It it didn't really flow I thought towards the end When he misses a heart punch And then Lex Lex hits Paul E With a quick clothesline He hits Paul E then he hits a quick clothesline And the wind just kind of comes out of nowhere There wasn't like a build up to it 
there in this 12 minute match, there was probably six to seven minutes of it that I thought was pretty solid. There was a few that was sort of wonky at the end, a couple at the beginning that was a feel out, and then maybe one or two in the middle that was a little too resty. There were a lot of pieces and parts of this match that I thought were were kind of fun and and just cool to watch. But overall, again, I think the word flow, like it didn't, it like the individual pieces of a puzzle. It, it's like they just didn't. We we're missing a piece or two here for it to all come together. I think you've got it about right. Um, I've made a comparison in a couple of conversations. Some of them on this program. Some of it just in general on the you know the internet wrestling community. The present day version of Jade Cargill in AEW is the female version of Lex Luger. You know, instantly you're seeing a star at work. You know it. They just need to learn how to work. Luger at this point can be carried by the right guy. We know that he and Flair have fantastic chemistry. He would have fantastic matches with Ricky Steamboat, a couple of other guys at this point in his career. Mean Mark is not the right dance partner for Luger. Now, when Luger was fired up, he could have really good matches, but he needed the right guy on the other side of the ring. Mark was green. He was not gray. He was not black. He was not dead. He was green. Now, he had a couple of spots you mentioned. That was very well done there. Yeah, it was cool. There were a couple of fun spots where you're like, oh, yeah, that guy's going to be the undertaker in six months. And there were also some spots he did where you're like, Oh, so when he became biker taker, he took some stuff from here. Mm -hmm. It's a fun historical curiosity. No more than that. For me, it it starts slow. You get a fun finish. The crowd pops at the end. And then that way, I guess it was successful. It was, but it was really quick. It was almost like there was a time issue because they went, finish and then immediately to Gordon Soli with Sting. Well, there also is the chance that we're seeing an edited version of And the you're show. right. Yeah, but that's true. But it was quick. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was quick for sure. The finish they got right. You knew Paulie was going to get involved with the phone. I loved when he was apparently calling Maury Povich and we got a Maury Povich and Connie Chung reference out of Jim Ross. I thought that was pretty funny. As far as the in-ring stuff goes, nothing special here. Nothing you've got to go out of your way to see. But if you want to see The Undertaker before he was The Undertaker working a big match in front of a big crowd, here you go. You said the right phrase earlier, like a historical curiosity. That's what a lot of this show was to me. And that's why a a lot of it I upgraded in a fun sense because, like we said, there's nothing really all that bad. And so even the the bad stuff, when you sort of grade it overall on a curve, it comes – it puts – Together, it comes together for a pretty fun show overall. As uh, we move to the final two matches on this show, first up, it's the NWA World Tag Team Championship match. Uh, actually, we first we got the Sting promo where he said he's nervous, but he's 100% stipulation set, no excuses. None of these promos were really long, but they were all you know pretty basic. They got the job done. This was fine from Sting because sometimes he would have some bad promos. This was. With with him, I think sometimes less is more. Yep, and also you had a guy in Gordon Soley who knew exactly the right questions to ask and then got out of the way. Um, yep. I'm admittedly a big Gordon Soley fan. There were certain matches where he just brought an air of legitimacy to the product, and when you hear that voice 
that gravelly three packs of cigarettes voice a day go, his face is a crimson mask. Tell me that doesn't bring chills to your spine. It's 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 really cool in the right settings. And I thought this was the perfect setting. A bunch of little 90 second to two minute hits throughout the night. You get a guy who brings a big fight atmosphere with him. This was pretty cool. NWA World Tag Team Championship up next. It's Doom with Teddy Long versus the Rock and Roll Express. Baby faces are out first. So the Rock and Roll Express comes out. Then the champs Doom with Teddy Long. And JR says they are the first black world tag team champions. Now, really quick, before we move on here, Doom had just recently been unmasked as Butch Reed and Ron Simmons. They were under masks, quote unquote, nobody knew who they were. Everybody knew who they were who followed wrestling at that point. But because the masks are off, we know who they are. And no one, I mean, no one is happier about this than good old JR. Yep. Because he can talk all about their backgrounds. He can talk all about the accomplishments that these guys have. And there which... are a bunch of them. If Ron Simmons is out there, sir, that was not a knock at you. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> he 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 has plenty of them. Um, yeah, first, pow- like, you know what you're going to get with these two teams, right? You've got Doom. They're the power team. You've got the Rock and Roll Express. They're the baby faces who are going to get creative. They're going to sell. It's it, it it's going to do everything that you would expect this match to do. First, you get power by Ron Simmons. Gibson trying to use some speed with the roll-up. He's actually, you know, using a little bit of power, too. They're kind of talking about how he's got a little more size than you would expect with the slam and, and then an, an elbow. Reed, uh, but now he's using his power against Morton, and we get some fun double teams on Reed from the Rock and Roll Express. Reed tosses Gibson down pretty hard, and now it's all Reed with a neck breaker. Then Simmons comes in and he nails Morton for uh, in the back of the head with a clothesline that looked pretty brutal. Reed was uh, in there for a little while. He slows it down. Then Simmons tags in. He runs into a boot, so Reed gets back in with a big elbow drop off the middle rope for two. Morton gets just crushed for a while. He's in there for about six or seven minutes, and they're just just wailing on him. And, you know, a little hope spots here and there for him, but it's really all doomed through a lot of this match. We get a a slingshot under the bottom rope. Morton tries a roll-up just for two, though. Doom then... Sends Morton over the top rope when the ref isn't looking. Teddy uh, works on Morton outside of the ring. And we get a big power slam by Reed. But he misses an elbow, so Morton's able to get the hot tag to Gibson. House of Fire for Gibson here. Going after Reed. Going after Teddy. That was the problem. Because he's trying to go after Teddy and Reed. But once his focus shifts to Teddy Long, Reed's able to hit a flying shoulder shoulder block for the win. For the one, two, three. This thing goes 1540 in a vacuum. No problems with this match. A lot of good stuff, a lot of basic stuff. Tag like the the tag team formula. Well, I think one of the only problems that this match had was it was the third of three tag matches that we saw, all between pretty good tag teams, to be honest. Like none of them are bad tag teams that were in those matches. And I think the first match was the best. And then in the second match, you had a team like the Steiners 
who were super unique and maybe even like the best of all of the teams with the highest ceiling at the time. So this match, it wasn't like it was bad, but Doom isn't quite as interesting as any of the teams that we saw earlier. The Rock and Roll Express aren't even at this point quite as good as maybe what we saw from the Midnight Express earlier on, like you were saying. So I think this match maybe suffered because of where it was on the card and and maybe coming after a couple other tag matches that could have been a little flashier. The Rock and Roll Express were a phenomenal tag team. They're still around today. Ricky Morton is throwing Canadian destroyers because he is a crazy man with a death wish. The Rock and Roll Express worked in the 1980s because one of them would get the crap kicked out of them for 10, 12, 15 minutes at a time, sucker you in by basically just looking at the crowd with these big eyes that said, help me. And the crowd would instantly rally to their feet, try to get the guy to get the hot tag. They'd finally get the hot tag. Place comes unglued, double drop kick, bam, match is over. Baby faces win. Everyone goes home happy. Crowd was dead for this, Gino. And when the crowd is dead for that shtick, You're not right. a lot you can do. If this was the opener to the show, I firmly believe it probably would have been a three and a quarter, three and a half star match because there's nothing offensive about no, this match. No, there's nothing as bad about it, really. Goes, it's no. just the crowd is spent and they're also waiting for the main event, which is Sting against Flair because the entire setup of the match is indicated Sting is not losing this match. We're all going to explode and then everyone goes home happy. Now, there are some really good spots in this particular match. Butch Reed and Ron Simmons at this point were big guys that could move. Everybody drink. Drink, 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 drink. I mean, Ron Simmons gets this really sweet power slam. Butch Reed tags in. He gets a double axe handle. Butch Reed is like a refrigerator on sticks, okay? He's not supposed to be flying around like that. Um, You get spots with Butch Reed hitting flying elbows halfway across the ring. These guys were fantastic athletes, and it made for a really cool tag team presentation, especially when he had the loudmouth manager, Teddy Long, that everyone wanted to see him get his ass kicked. This was a good match. It wasn't a great match, but it was a good match. The problem is when the crowd is just not into it at all whatsoever, and when you have a babyface tag team that has perfected this formula that works if a crowd's interested and the crowd's just not interested... It puts a ceiling on it. I've got it at two and a half stars. If they had made this the opener and gave, say, Pillman and Landell this spot, which in modern wrestling parlance would probably be called the death spot, we'd probably see a better match overall, and we remember it a little bit more fondly. But also, at that time, wrestling shows were structured completely differently. You did not see title matches kicking off the show. You saw going from the low end of the card to the high end of the card in almost linear fashion. This was decent. It was fine. The crowd not being into it sort of killed it. Yeah, and it showed it showed you the depth of the tag team divisions, you know, at this at this time period where you probably had six teams that legitimately were, you know, were staking their claim. I mean, they had two titles for the tag yeah, team division. They had the US tag team the US tag team championship and this, and they were all legitimate like teams battling it out and teams that, you know, could stake their claim to be a legit uh, title uh you know, contender. So 
No issue again in a vacuum Just in comparison and like you said The crowd didn't get as into it And these, this is a babyface team that needs The crowd because it gives you that little extra Oomph you know um, Towards the end in the hot tag And it just, it just wasn't quite there But we move to the main event We get a Ric Flair promo He puts over Sting And he's pretty quick here But he gives us the old to be the man You gotta beat the man And I am the man Ric Flair Versus Sting First out It's Sting In the red, white, and blue face paint Now, 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 now If we're gonna do this We're gonna do this right Do it It's Sting It's Sting I think what is uh, Tony said the other day I heard him He said something He said I get paid to do You know To do two or three things To say it's Sting To do the D-M-D <laughs> You know And he was like You know And I get to like Say great job to Excalibur and JR You know it was really funny He's like I know my role And so good old uh, Tony Who at this point was actually in WWF I know it's a weird thing It is weird This was not long after the great moment He had at SummerSlam with Jesse Ventura When Jesse went off on him With the ultimate warrior hitting the belt shot outside the ring So you can shoot someone as long as you're So you can do anything you want outside there, Shabani You're dumber than Monsoon And I thought Gorilla was the dumbest man alive Uh, I gotta go back Right to the head What a great, great business uh, We're recording this a few days before SummerSlam. So I always like to go back and throw some of the fun SummerSlams on. That one's a good one. It's just funny with the, a lot of the Shivani and uh, and Jesse stuff. So this is basically like sort of like a lumberjack match. What they've got here is the baby faces are able to secure the perimeter of the ring to make sure that the horsemen are not going to come in. So we've got the Steiners, Paul Orndorff, and JYD ringside. We've got El Gigante, who's Handcuffed to Ole Anderson And they're sitting up on Ole the is pretty good here Yeah <laughs> it, And you know what It's it is a, a fun visual Seeing El Gigante How huge he is JR says Man he takes up about two and a half chairs over there Which was about right And uh, Yeah he did Yeah, you, you can understand why When you look at this guy People were gonna give him chances he was an absolute marvel. JR was right. right. The- he was taller than Andre. He, when you're looking at him, it's just wow. And you could tell he was young and he was green. But anyone, any booker or promoter would see this guy and think big money. And by the way, WWF did see that and did think big money. And that's why we got Giant Gonzalez. And part of one of the worst WrestleMania matches we've ever seen at WrestleMania nine with the, yeah, the chloroform cloth. And by the way, Harvey Whippleman is exactly right for as much as we talk about the undertaker's streak. That was a DQ win. It's true. Taker didn't really beat him. He didn't. And he definitely didn't look like the winner there when he was laid out, but uh, we've got a big fight feel here. As Sting and Flair face off and the bell rings JR says this is the young man that will dominate the 90s Versus the man that has dominated the 80s I like that Um, Pretty accurate here And Sting no selling early on Lots of Sting offense Flair's begging off Thumb to the eyes So that's going to give Rick his first real advantage Now he goes to work a little bit He's dropping some knees A suplex But Sting pops right back up Close lines, cross body for two Flair goes outside to catch a breather Back in the ring 
He's working on Sting's knee Which is an injured knee That's part of the story they're telling Is Sting 100% returning from the injury So Flair hits some chops He tries for a figure four But Sting busts out of it right away Crowd is going so crazy For Sting here We get a test of strength And of course a cheap shot by the heel In the test of strength And then uh, chops Flair tosses Sting on the ramp And he continues to go after the knee Sting fights back a little bit Hip lock but he misses an elbow And now Flair's really starting to dissect Sting's leg and just pick him apart More chops Sting looks like he's in trouble But he, he keeps avoiding moves By by Flair And, and he's, he's able to sort of little Little flurries Here and there So Sting actually ends up Hitting, uh, getting a figure four But Flair gets to the ropes uh, Outside the ring we get a big f- chop by Flair And then Rick tosses Sting into the railing Sting no-sells it He's unfazed Now we're back in the ring and Flair is begging off Sting And Sting has some punches Then he catches Flair On the top rope for the patented Flair getting caught up top Overhead slam that happens in every match He's he's in um, the backslide for uh, by two, a uh, backslide by Sting for two. Flair again is starting to go after Sting's knee. He's back in control, kicking Sting in the head, working on the knee. Figure four attempt, but every time Sting kicks him off, we get more chops. Sting now he's got a lot of energy and he's no selling really everything. A big press slam for two, big punches. He sends Flair to the turnbuckle up and over Another one of those patented spots Big suplex by Sting This is a lot of fun here The crowd is loving it You're getting every big spot That you would want from either of these guys And they're executing it really really well And Sting just has an extra Bounce in his step you can tell This is going to be his night So there's no tired moments for him Even the spots when Flair's in control It's not like they're real Down Slow down uh, Two minutes that feel like 10 minute Lex Luger rest hold match spots They're they're not like that Is we uh, We now have Sting Setting up for the Scorpion Deathlock But the horsemen run out And Ole tries to get involved But the baby faces all stand off With the horsemen it's kind of a cool spot As the baby faces are out there Holding the line Flair um, Flair is able to get to the ropes as he's he's in the deathlock. He climbs to the ropes, but he's noticeably wounded. So there's all this chaos happening while Sting's got the Scorpion Deathlock locked in. So it's just it's a, a cool little like you're watching a movie that's cutting back through like this fight sequence where these different things are happening. A lot of fun for a main event match. The crowd is buzzing. Flair tries for a, a pin, like a cheap pin, real quick with his feet on the ropes. Scott Steiner comes flying Running ringside And he pushes off Flair's feet Which is such a cool spot And we just get a two count As Sting is able to kick out Both men look exhausted They're exchanging quick pin attempts We get chops by Flair But again Sting is jacked up They don't have any effect on him Uh, He goes for a a knee to the corner But Flair moves So Sting is really starting to sell the knee here Towards the end of the match Flair goes for the figure four 
And Sting rolls him up with a small package A really good spot And we got a fun celebration at the end, Andrew With the baby faces It didn't last all that long for like a crowning moment But he did go up the aisle way And cut a little bit of a promo I really like this match It's not perfect Sting will have many uh, you know, many folks and many detractors from his body of in-ring work He kind of reminds me a little bit of Cena In that a lot of his big matches really do hold up pretty well When even watching them back, he's got a lot of energy there And he's not someone who is a, a mat technician But if he can go 15 minutes at a pretty good clip like His matches are always going to be Pretty solid and fun and the crowd's Going to be into him you nailed it And in fact when Cena Was coming up through the developmental Ranks people called him Sting 2.0 because His cardio was incredible He had a good series Of moves that he could go to to pop The crowd and if he was with the right Person he could be carried to a really High level I had this at three And a half the only Thing that holds it back For me And some of this is due to inexperience on Sting's part, and I can't knock him too much for this, the spotty selling of the knee. I'm going to go back a couple months. Yeah, I agree. Because you need to understand what went into this match from a storyline standpoint. This sounds thoroughly ridiculous, and it was. Sting was courted to join the Four Horsemen. Sting joins the Four Horsemen. However, Sting decides he wants a title match, and who holds the title but the big guy in the Four Horsemen, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Ole Anderson cuts the best promo of his life, talking about what it means to be a horseman, crushing Sting, and basically saying, if you go away from this match with Flair, we'll let you live. Sting wants the match, the horsemen kick the crap out of him, and Sting winds up legitimately injuring his knee. Four months later, Sting's back, and he sells the knee Sometimes he gets these little flurries, as you mentioned, but during these little flurries, like they're not flurries that are interrupted by Sting grabbing his knee. They're not flurries that end with Sting holding flare up in a press slam, but needing to let him down because his knee is starting to buckle a little bit. It's really spotty as far as when he chooses to sell the knee versus when he chooses not to sell the knee. And that, I think, hurt the match in a couple of spots. Now, was the match still very good? Yes, because these two guys just had phenomenal chemistry. Here you have Ric Flair, who could get three stars out of a broomstick. Here you have Sting, who has a phenomenal look, looks like the guy that's going to be the guy for the next 10 years. All he needs is somebody to carry him in a kind of match like this, because He hasn't been in a match like this before on a big stage. That happens here. It's a really good match. The other big foible that I have, near the end of the match, Sting gets a backslide for two. Flair goes into the corner. Sting runs, jumps in the air for a splash. Inexplicably, there is no defense for this. The guy in the truck cuts to a shot of the crowd while Sting is in the air. Apparently, he hit the turnbuckle with his knee. How do you miss that? How yeah. do you miss it's a that big defining part, I know. shot in a match like this that leads to Flair going And those are little things, four? but they are, 
And whether or not they're the performer's fault, whatever the fault they are, they're a part of the whole of the match that are little nitpicks that make a match not necessarily be an all-time great. This was a good, really good match. You want to say great, fine. You want to say as high as four stars? I have no problem with that. You know, I really don't. I think between three and a half and four is fine. There's a few little issues, but it's a very good match. It did everything that it needed, but there were some imperfections in it. Yeah, and it's a three and a half star match. If Sting sells the leg consistently and they stay on the right camera for the finish, it's probably four. It's not like it's a horrible match. We're not knocking the match. It's a good match. They got the finish correct. Sting got a chance to be the guy. Now, judging by business, that probably wasn't the right move, but they tried hard to make Sting the guy in all capital letters. They made him a main eventer for 10 years, but he wouldn't truly be the guy in big all capital letters until seven years later when he came out as the crow to face Hogan at Starcade. It's funny the way things work. And at this point, you have Sting as the world champ in WCW, NWA. You've got the Ultimate Warrior. As the world champ. The Blade Runners. Yep. The tag team partners have made it big. They are the faces of their given promotions for a little bit until they go back to old faithful Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and in the given promotions not long after. But I got to say, Andrew, overall, this is a show that I didn't have a whole lot of memories about. It was fun to go through. You hit the phrasing. I think the historical curiosity, there were a lot of things that were like, oh, wow, that was that was cool. I don't know how much I'd go back and watch some of these matches over and over, but dang, the the Midnight Express tag match, the Vader debut, and the main event all hold up really, really well. Like, that's a good, right there, you know, 45 minutes or so of of wrestling and show. And I will say, This show is really wrestling heavy. There's not a lot of fluff. The promos are quick. I think it's a two hour and 49 minute show overall. We don't know exactly things that may have been edited here and there, but of what we saw on Peacock on the WWE network, there was two hours and 15 minutes of wrestling on this show. I mean, there's a lot of in ring stuff happening here. Yeah, there is. And there's some stuff that, as we've mentioned, is excellent. If you have not seen the Midnight Express Southern Boys match, go watch it. If you have not seen Sting Flair, go watch that. There's also some really cool historical curiosity type stuff that we mentioned. You yeah. get to see The Undertaker before he was The Undertaker. The Vader debut. See, yeah, the debut of Vader. You get to see Brian Pillman strut his stuff in a good opener. You get The to Ric see, Flair knockoff with the Nature yep. Boy Buddy Landell. Sheiky baby. Yeah, the Iron Sheik and Mike Rotunda, who a year later would be in much bigger positions with the WWF. Because remember, Iron Sheik went back to WWF mm-hmm. as Colonel Mustafa part of Sergeant Slaughter's faction. And all they did was headline SummerSlam. You know, it's a really cool thing. And I'm happy we were able to work our way through the show. Shame Darren was not here for it, but you know, work calls and hopefully he'll be back next week for something that I got to tell you, honestly, I'm pretty excited about. Okay, Andrew, go ahead. Tell us where, uh, where we're headed for our next show. Sure. So we are recording this on Tuesday, July 26th, Monday, July 25th was the 20 year celebration of Rey Mysterio's 
WWE career. Mind you, before that, he was in ECW and WCW and AAA doing a lot of revolutionary things. After his match, they presented him with a gift. There was a bow on it. It was all wrapped up. He opens the gift. It is his outfit from arguably the best match he's ever had. That comes on a show we have not done yet. I am referring to his title versus mask match for the Cruiserweight Championship against Eddie Guerrero from Halloween Havoc 1997. Now, that match is a legitimate five stars. I'm looking forward to watching that 25 years later. However, there's some other cool stuff on this show. We get a New Japan-style match between Yuji Nagata and Ultimo Dragon that was years ahead of its time. Chris Jericho is in action against Gato, who is now New Japan Pro Wrestling's booker. We get a Kurt Hennig-Rick Flair match. We get Randy Savage against DDP. And we get Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan in the main event. Cool. Now, the, last, the first three matches on this show, granted, Mysterio Guerrero tops those, but the first three are very good. The back half of this card, we're going to have stuff to talk about, and it's going to be probably a little harder to watch. But at the same time, that was WCW in a nutshell. This was a show we have not gotten to yet. This was a match we had not gotten to yet. And after what I saw last night on Monday Night Raw, we got to get there. Yeah, and if you just think about some of the star power from you know the final four matches, you get Hennig Flair, who... These matches that they would have in WCW, they weren't quite like the matches that they had earlier on. The really good loser leaves town match, you know, in WWF. But there were still good, good glimpses again, good flashes. Luger, Scott Hall with Zabisco as the referee. Luger and Hall had a little bit of a feud that wasn't bad. And then you had Randy and DDP who had a really good feud. This is when Piper returned to face Hogan when it was sort of like, okay, Piper can get a win, but he can't beat me for the title. You know, it was sort of like, well, we'll write this thing in. So well, they, they have, had to keep ho- the title on Hogan so that Sting could Sting beat, could him beat him for the title clean as a sheet two months later. Where's the Wade Barrett, Jeff? I'm right. afraid I've got some bad news. Cool. This will be fun. We're heading back to 1997 for Halloween Havoc. I like how you used uh, uh, a recent... Um, uh, uh, recent incident on Monday Night Raw to sort of spark your uh, your choosing of this show. Halloween Havoc 1997 for the next old wrestling rewatch. Andrew, buddy, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. We um, yeah, we were able to cover, cover a lot of ground in here. And this is sort of uh, an era and a time period that we haven't spent a whole lot of time in. So it was kind of cool to see Sting getting his big moment. The Vader debut, even things like El Gigante are fun to talk about, you know, him and someone who's sort of like a sort of unfortunately uh, like a wrestle crap thing through the years with uh, with the giant Gonzalez stuff. I thought this was a cool show and I'm glad we were able to check this one off the list. Yeah, there was not a lot that was genuinely bad on this show. There was some stuff that was better than others, some stuff that the show wouldn't have been worse off had it not included. But happy we got here. Happy you're feeling better, and uh, let's move on and move forward, and let's have some fun with uh, Mysterio and Eddie next week.
Well, make sure you give Andrew a follow on social media at Andrew Champagne and check out the website, andrewchampagne.com. Andrew is uh, right now in the middle of uh, one of the major focuses of the year for him, Saratoga. So if you are a horse racing fan and you're playing the races, anytime you're playing Saratoga, you want to check in and see how Andrew's playing the card with the uh, the daily selections. How's the, uh, the first couple of weeks been so far? Tough for everybody. Uh, it's been a case where it hasn't been 30 or 40 to one shots or anything like that, but there have been a whole bunch of, say, $18, $20 horses where if you've got one of them, your day is going to be made based on that. Uh, there have just also been a couple of things that have just really you know, hit me in the stomach. Uh, I came back from Long Beach, California on a quick trip with my girlfriend down for an event that her best friend was having. And saw that, let's see, in 10 races, four of my projected top selections scratched, and one of them wound up being a no <sighs> contest because of the issue with the gate. Just really bizarre stuff. Yeah, and weird honestly, stuff. I'm just hoping for normalcy the last three quarters of the meet. I'll be headed up there in mid-August for a week for the racing and gaming conference and for a couple of days of vacation so excited for that if you're in saratoga pick up a pink sheet if you're not in saratoga go to andrewschampagne.com for all of my stuff really excited as always to be a part of that it's a highlight of my year thank you so much buddy i look forward to talking some halloween havoc with you coming up next week and i'm always checking in before i make my saratoga plays to see uh some of your thoughts there so good luck with uh, all your stuff coming up and uh, we'll talk again real soon thanks man i'll talk to you later Hey, folks, don't go anywhere. Still a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. Stay tuned as uh, we'll shift the focus in just a minute. That's going to do it for the bonus episode here. Thanks to Andrew and thanks to Koopa Loop for helping us out. Should be back to a pretty normal schedule next week. We just had so much this week and being backed up uh, the last couple weeks being sick. We were able to just get everything out for you so you can enjoy it all this weekend. Have a good one, folks.